What's your favorite romantic comedy? Uh, I have two. It's Notting Hill oh, and Natch. um <laughs> Yeah, it's so classic. And uh, more recently Gone Girl. Right? It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I'm in love with Could you. make me be true. Snap out of it. Could the magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. You're lit from within, Tracy. It had to be you. Wonderful you. It had to be you. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and it's the 100th episode of A Pod to Be You. Now, you just heard Anne Hathaway tell James Corden that uh, Gone Girl is one of her favorite romantic comedies to a very shocked and silent audience, uh, which is, I think, one of my favorite clips that go viral every couple of months. Um, So in honor of our Queen Anne Hathaway and the master David Fincher, uh, this episode's about Gone Girl, the 2014 kind of mystery, noir, romantic comedy, absurdist, satire, you know, um, marriage story uh, starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. Um, but it's not just a normal episode. I've invited six guests to talk about different parts of the movie and its impact and its many, many attributes and qualities. And um, yeah, it's a... It's a fun episode. Uh, got some really great guests. Um, so stay tuned and hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. So for this um, first segment, and I did not tell you that you're the first, but I made that decision just now. Um, for this first segment, <laughs> I'm really excited to welcome um, Erica Richards back to the podcast. Hello. Welcome back. Hello. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you back on the podcast, um, and especially talking about Gone Girl, which is such an iconic movie, and there's so much to talk about. Um, and uh, I I feel like everyone has a really interesting relationship with this movie. So my first question to you is, when did you first see it? What was that like? And then how has it really changed for you in the last ten? You mentioned you just mentioned off mic that. You've seen it, you know, 15 times, which is probably yeah. close to how many times I've seen it. But <laughs> how has that, you know, journey been for you? I, yeah, I would say, gosh, I've probably seen it. Yeah, at least 15 times. Um, I definitely saw this when it came to theaters, like when it came out, like I remember seeing it in theaters. I remember going to see it and I'm pretty sure my sister had seen it already which is weird because like my sister's not a moviegoer but again this was you know years ago um and i remember her and her now husband um saying that like oh yeah we're in the movie theater and um she knew every single thing that was going to happen and i was and like being like my brother-in-law being like shocked by that and being like this is psycho like yeah. how, how did you know what was going to happen like should I be concerned type of thing, <laughs> right yeah yeah um and she didn't read the book right and also oh, okay. I yeah. had not read the book when I went to go see it I read the book after I saw it um and I just remember being uh 
in theater and being like, oh, I love this, you know? And that's yeah. how I feel a lot about a lot of David Fincher films. Like I remember going and sitting and seeing the social network. And like after that first opening scene in the social network, which is very like a definitive memorable scene being yeah. like, oh, I'm going to love this movie, you know? So it just, it has that feel for me immediately. It's one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is my kind of film. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I know I saw it in theaters. I know I loved it. And I left and I was like, that, that was amazing. And just, I think that's really when my love for David Fincher started to truly grow. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, it's very similar in that, like, I watched it and I was just like, this is, you know, because I was really excited about the movie. I, I, I was kind of a Fincher fan, like, mm-hmm. especially like Social Network and Dragon Tattoo really got me there. Like, I love those two movies back to back. And then like, you know, kind of, of course, going back to watching, you know, Seven and and Panic mm-hmm. Room and all that. But I would say that Gone Girl is probably like favorite or at least like top three. And um, I, th- I think Definitely. it's such a like Rorschach text test movie because like you like talking about your brother-in-law being like, should I be concerned that you <laughs> predicted everything? And that's so funny. And like, I can imagine there's like thousands and millions of conversations just like that between couples. Right. And like, right. it's really cool that like this movie, it has, I, you know, it's funny you say that, like, your sister, you know, wasn't a big movie person. Like, that's so mm-hmm. interesting to me because, like, I feel like Gone Girl is very much a, like, water cooler movie. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of like mm-hmm. how Saltburn became this year or last yes. year. Like, yes. the movie that, like, everyone, even people, like, my boyfriend watched Saltburn. And I'm like, you don't watch anything. <laughs> like, a lot. Guys, yes. Right? It's so funny that you say that because so many people at work are, like, coming up to me, like, so I watched Saltburn. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, no, what did you think? Like, well, and of course, like their opinion of it is totally different than mine. But um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a conversation for another podcast. For another, another podcast, but, but no, um, it's so definitely. funny. It's so funny that you made that comment though, like that you're imagining a lot of couples having these conversations. Because last night, when when my boyfriend and I sat down to rewatch this, he was kind of asking me questions like, "Are you on her side here, or like, <laughs> what's going on? How yeah, do you feel yeah. about this? Would you ever react this way or do this?" thing it was just so funny because any other time we've watched because we watched it together before those things have never come up but I think it was because he knew I was going to be talking about it on a podcast today that he had like a lot more questions for me and I was also watching it with like a different eye last night yeah, yeah, sure. you know so yeah I, I think one of the things that makes this movie so um so watchable and so memorable is the cast, um, yeah. especially, you know, especially Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, but also like Terry Coon, also Ken yeah. Dickens, also, you know, every, Missy Pyle, everyone, Sella Ward, like all these kind of like random actors that, I mean, they're not random, but like they're character actors. They work in small parts here and there and they're prolific, but they're not like huge, huge stars. And I mean, this movie makes a movie star out of Rosamund Pike and- yeah. Um, I I think that this is like one of the best cast movies. I mean, you have Casey Wilson, you know, and you have um, just like a like Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry. And it, um, is there any performance in this movie besides the lead pair, which we'll get to? But any anyone in the supporting cast that really stands out for you was like, wow, this is a really like memorable performance by a really interesting actor. Well, it's funny that you met because all the people, I wish people could have seen me when you were listing all those names. And 
I was shaking my head for all of them because yeah. all of them were the ones that I was like, you know, like I don't really know if I knew who Carrie Coon was before. Yeah, that was her like big breakout yeah. role. And I feel she's like. so good in this. She's so good. And again, de- the detective, Kim Dickens, um, Detective Rhonda, is it Boney? I don't remember them saying her. Yeah, I think it's something like weird like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course Tyler Perry. I mean, yeah. and Paris, like they're all they're so good. Like, you know how you watch a film and you're like, oh, this character was made for XYZ person. Like, even, yeah. again, to, to bring up Social Network, like, Jesse Eisenberg was meant to play, yeah. hit, you know, um, what's his face? <laughs> no, I'm blanking. Uh, Desi. Um, no, or, no, I'm sorry, but in the Social Network, like... Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Jesse just, Eisenberg is, like, Eisenberg, yeah, play. Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. Yes, Mark Zuckerberg, thank you. Sorry. He's, like, meant to play Mark Zuckerberg in the Social Network. Like, the Social Network is a completely different film without him playing Mark Yeah, Zuckerberg, yeah, exactly. Right? And I feel like, truly, all of the people we just mentioned, right, this is a... this the, Their performances make the movie what it is and make the movie memorable and... um just give it that like this could have been something different right like this could have been like a hallmark type of movie movie yeah, right? yeah. lifetime movie but what takes it over the edge and makes it so spectacular is the performances like ben affleck made to play this role rosamund pike made to play this role like i just think everyone truly like it makes the difference of the character that they're playing yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the Ben Affleck discourse. Is, I think his career and his life, like as a celebrity, is so interesting to me. Of like yeah. how he, he just seems like his career is always in this ebb and flow of like, we hate him, we love him. <laughs> it's so over, we're so back, you know? Yeah, and like, yeah. I feel like he's in a like, um, like, I feel like after, I feel like Gone Girl really brought him back to like, Brought, like brought him back to life in some ways because I yeah. mean I, he had a good career before but like you know I, I mean like I feel like we're kind of old enough to remember like the first go around with Jennifer Lopez right and like right. and then the Jennifer Garner thing and then you know Ana de Armas and the pandemic how like that oh. they were such an iconic pandemic couple oh my god yeah we were like waiting <laughs> for pictures of them going on their walk during, yeah yeah and, like, like, oh my god that seems like a thousand years ago that like <laughs> I can't even picture them in the same room together. And I forgot they were like the, like the Dunkin' Donuts, you know, royalty. And that really wasn't that long ago. It's wild. It's only three years ago, four years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it crazy. But, and and I, I think what's, what I love about his performances in this movie is that it's like knowing without being too wink, wink. Like I think he's playing into a lot of the like public's perception of him. Yeah. But, like not in a way that's like, haha, I'm in on the joke, but like, it's like this like weird thing where it's like knowing but like completely sincere to the point where like I have heard people on podcasts or like interviews be like this movie is kind of a big joke on Ben Affleck but I'm like I don't think Ben Affleck is that unself aware right like I'm right. sure he has some knowledge about his celebrity persona and everything that you know yeah. the tabloids have said about him but it is kind of this interesting magic trick that he pulls off. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I feel like he plays that like oblivious husband, like aloof, just idiot guy thing so well. And it's like, yeah, probably because he totally gets that person, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was laughing last night because one of my favorite scenes, and I wanted to talk about it, was um, 
when they they come back to the house and it's the detective and the the guy who's like her sidekick who is like the guy from almost famous or whatever mm-hmm. the kid from yeah almost yeah famous. and oh, um, I haven't. No. yeah i don't remember his name off the top of my head now but they're talk- you get yeah yeah and they're talking about um i guess they've gotten the results back of like the stuff in the house or whatever and they're telling him like oh yeah well we found a bunch of blood in the in the kitchen and she lost a lot of blood in there and you know whatever and he's like he like turns or like he kind of does this like thing where he turns around and he's like what oh my god like and it's it's so funny because we as the audience know what happened right like and you can understand like i always know too like obviously i listen to a bunch of true crime podcasts and shows and things and it's always like the biggest idiot in the room is the actual innocent person who's being blamed for this thing because they truly don't know what happened right so and he knows right like he almost immediately knows that she's fucking with him right like Mm -hmm. he knows how she is and he like immediately know, but he he's still too oblivious to like really know what's going on but that reaction to me was just so funny when he's like when they're like well she lost a lot of blood amy lost a lot of blood in that kitchen he's like oh my god like <laughs> what do you mean you know, like it's you know so good so dumb. Yeah. but you're like, also like he, but i get why he doesn't know because he really doesn't know what's going on yeah it's like in some ways you're kind of like are you so stupid or so oblivious or aloof to like this like you have no situational awareness right but also are you pretending like you have no situational awareness because you're guilty like it's so like because i remember being like in my first time seeing the movie like i didn't know the twist at all right Uh and i was not clairvoyant like many women watching the movie right and i predict the ending of the movie right but i was like wow like i had no idea so i'm like wow is he like really this like and you know you're hearing all these entries from the diary, which ends up, ends up being fake, but and I'm like, okay, like I'm hearing all this from Amy, and like he's acting so aloof that like this has to be an act. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to like, you know, crucify him. But you know, then the, then the twist happens, and you start to you start to really understand like the, the his half of the marriage and right. and everything. And it, it's so I mean, it's it's so, so funny though, his reaction. Were you expecting that he really was gonna have something to do with it? Like you didn't. Like, you didn't see it coming that, like, it was all her? No. I thought that, like, she, like, I thought that we would only see her in flashbacks in the movie. Okay. And that, like, the ending would be, like, that night where she gets killed. And, you know, like, that's what I thought. Or I thought that, like, or I thought maybe he, she did get kidnapped and he was, like, or he was in on it. Or he was, like, Mm. secretly happy that she was gone or what. I, you know, I don't, I mean, that was 10 years ago, but, like. Right. I definitely did not know because I, you know, I took the title at face value of like, she's gone, you know, she's not going to come back. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, well, and, that's the thing is like, yeah. she was too narcissistic to ever really like kill herself or, yeah, yeah. you know, like that was never going to happen. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I, and, and when I watch it now, or like when I watch it for the first, when I watch it for the second time, because I saw it in theaters twice, I, I definitely was like, how did I not see this? Because okay. Like, it's so obvious, like her diary entries read so fake, you know, sure. and like they like um they're just so perfect, right? Where it's like every diary has to yeah. do like has to frame him. And I'm like, and then it made sense that like how much she's so drawn back to her own fake crime, like that, you know, right. and I'm like that she can't stay away and that in some ways I think she's subconsciously putting herself in position to go back. Um right. and uh so yeah, and I 
And I, I think Ben Affleck's performance really, really stands out to me the more I watch it because I, I think what he's doing is really subtle. And I, and I, yeah. a lot of the like humor that he brings to the movie is like so key to like how this movie is rewatchable. Cause I think yes. he's like, he's like so sharp in his performance. Well, and that's, it's funny because we're sitting here talking about like, oh God, he's so dumb and so aloof and, you know, just like an idiot. But then there's, there's those like, few moments where he has these like zingers where you're like that was so smart and that really made sense like yeah. he, he says at one point um i know there's there's a couple moments but the one that really sticks out is like at the end when she's being questioned she's like in the hospital still covered in blood she's being questioned by everyone and um you know the the sidekick cop guy is telling him like oh she, she, she you know she cut his throat with a with a um, box cutter or whatever. And he's like, how did she get the box cutter if he'd had her tied up the whole time? You know, right. And you're just like, yeah. right. Like, good point. Like, you yeah. know, you have those little things where you're like, yeah, you're, you know what? Like, and no one's listening to you and you're right in this moment, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, That's you know, really yeah, great. you know, and, and the, the sidekick cop guy goes like, can't you just be happy your wife's home or whatever, you know? And um, and you're like, yeah, but you're not even listening to what he said. Like, he has a point, you know. He and has he's a point. And there's definitely he... stuff to investigate. Yeah. Right. Right. So but they're the yeah, and it's but they're just so like it's like you've been playing the like grieving husband, you know. Why aren't you just like happy, you know? And it's like this whole thing about like perception and uh, like you know, seeing what's like in front of you versus like what's real. Right. And then you even like, you know, you're, you're, you kind of are, if you do know what's going on and obviously on a, on a rewatch, you're rooting for him a little bit because you're like, wow, she's crazy. And I feel bad for him because he really didn't have anything to do with this and he's being made out to be this person. But then he, you realize he's cheating on her and he is, you know, with, with like one of his students, which is just, you know, so cliche, like his sister says. And yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like I wanted to root for you and now I can't because you're a pig, you know? I like um, when he's like, I'm not a writer. And she's just like, ugh, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like such a like, poor their movie. dynamic is so good. Like, <laughs> Very good, so yeah. believable brother and sister dynamic. Yeah. And, um, great chemistry, like, un, un, like, appreciated chemistry, I think. Yeah, um, I, I do want to switch over to, to Rosamund Pike just because, yes. like, she was a big draw for me having watched oh her God. in movies like Pride and Prejudice and um, uh, and Education. Like, I was kind of like a, a like a, a good a good like a good like Rosamund Pike fan, being like, yes, mm-hmm. like I, I was excited. I remember just reading interview after interview about like the casting process and like yeah. how like she like really lobbied hard for the part and um i think david fincher really liked her and like they had a lot of conversations over skype so this was pre-pandemic (laughs) pre-zoom um (laughs) so they were like on skype just like talking it over and like i love that i love that like you know her her, like in some ways she kind of like totally goes against what i think of her as like in pride and prejudice like she's jane she's like the perfect sweet sister like she's like the the, you know the quote-unquote pretty one like and mm-hmm. like an education she's like the like arm candy with you know and it's like but here it's like there's so much like depth to her and it's like you but there's so much depth that you also like don't know what she's thinking in any given moment 100%. You know? and like i think that's like really hard to do while also making it a like believable and like compelling and engaging performance 
Yeah, and terrifying and bone chilling at the same yeah. time. But she has this, like you said, like sweet demeanor, sweet blonde persona. Um, it's funny because I did not know her before this. Like this was my introduction to her. So my my outlook on her is kind of the exact opposite. Like I could imagine her playing something like, you know, timid and sweet or, you know, whatever. Um, because to me, she will always be yeah this. she will always be amy dunn like, and i feel like she leaned into this more and oh more my in God. Her and again, she i feel like this role was made for her like yeah. she is like the way she like you said i feel like she's super dynamic and layered and you know she has the moments where she's you know playing um desi like she's playing desi and she's able to pull that off so well and then she has the moments where she's pretending to be this person she's not when she's staying in that little like motel cabin type thing and and meeting those people that end up stealing the money from her like she's a completely different person in like wherever she's at at the point in the story and the time of the story that she's yeah at. yeah yeah it's interesting like i was um uh the blink check podcast just did david fincher and you know they talked about gone girl and like they're mentioning like Reese Witherspoon, like, you know, it's her production company that I think, you know, kind of kickstarted the adaptation process. And I think mm-hmm. at some point she was, um, she was supposed to star in it as a producer, but then I think Fincher was like, I think basically, I guess he convinced her or she stepped away from it. I don't know, but it w- I think that would have been interesting to have someone who is like very like Southern sweet. And, to, and like, I also wonder like who else was considered, like I was reading that like, I think like Olivia Wilde was supposed to okay. like in consideration, which makes sense for like this being like 2013, 2014 when she yeah. was like kind of bigger. Um, but I, I'm sure like people like Scarlett Johansson and Anne Hathaway and like all the you know major sure. stars of the time. And it's I not that can't I can't see. It. It's not that I can't see them maybe being this person, but after knowing the performance that she gives, it's like no, you could. No one else could have done this. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially because, like, I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in some ways I, I can imagine other actors in, mm-hmm. in this role, but because this is such a, like, big, like, major mainstream, like, leading role for her, and, like, her first one, like, you know, you're saying that uh, it was her, her first, the first movie of her that you saw, like, to me, that, that's, like, a really big bonus for the, the movie because it's, yeah. like, then she's, like, totally inscrutable, you know, uh-huh. and, like, um, so it was, I, I kind of wish I had that experience to be a see this actress for the first time being like, I have no idea what you're like because I've never seen you before. Um, exactly. Exactly. But, yeah. And it's such a like, yeah, I mean, it's it's really chilling. Like what, like what are some moments from like the or like scenes from the movie that are like really like stand out for you for Rosemond Pike? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh, this, this is a point I wanted to make because I also feel like, I feel like, her voice and her cadence and like the sing songy way her voice is like in the diary entry, like when she's reading the diary entries, but also when she's um, even when she's like in conversation, sometimes I feel like she's so captivating, like as a person, but I also feel like her voice in this is mm-hmm. so captivating. Um, that was like a big thing for me that I realized like, this is chilling. Right. Um, the Just like, the cadence and the sing-songiness of your voice like do you know what i'm talking about yeah, she has, yeah. like I, I don't know it's like so I, I don't i i think people will understand what i'm talking about but it's just that like the delivery is so 
specific. Um, for mm-hmm. me, though, too, like, I feel like the way she moves sometimes is so, like, effortless, but also crazy and chilling specifically the moment where she's in the cabin motel thing with the woman that she meets and they're watching the news and it's actually the story about her right yeah and she's sitting there on the couch she's eating all these munchies and the woman you know is like talking shit about her unbeknownst that it's her and um she gets up to go to the bathroom and she slithers over grabs her drink spits in it swirls it around puts <laughs> it back and then just like slides back over like slithers back over to her seat yeah yeah it's so you watch it and you're just like this is such a psycho move and this is like it looks like she's done it a thousand times yeah. and like i know that's a weird one to point out but really no, but that's I- a really like subtle you yes know, you're like, moment. like could you imagine because i was like thinking i'm like i can't imagine doing that to someone a right like yeah. off the <laughs> right. bat right the fact that like, yeah. she immediately was like i'm gonna spit in this woman's drink when she's just in the other room like she just walked away like she has no fear of getting caught in that moment she has no like urgency like she did it in a way that was like she was so sure of what she was doing and it was such a psychopath move <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh she's crazy like she's a different kind of crazy but it was something that was like it's also so like kind of immature and childish like and it was something that she did that she like only she knew she was doing right like and she was doing it for her satisfaction yeah yeah nothing else you know what i mean um but of course also like I mean, I, I don't think there becomes a more memorable scene than the one where she kills Desi. Yeah. Uh, that is is haunting. And, like, to swing back and forth between this, like, childish, like, thing where you're like, oh, you're not this, like, the cool, sophisticated, like, you know, a Grace Kelly would never do that. I mean, maybe she did at some point, but, like, right. that type would never do it. But, like, right. and then to go from that to, like, someone that could just, like, murder someone so violently in the middle of having sex, you know. Oh, yeah. And I and, think, you know. You know, like mutilating yourself, you know. Right. You know, it's just like, it's crazy. Right. And and in that way where, you know, she does it and she, there's that moment where she sits on the end of the bed after it's all done and she seems upset and then she literally just like shakes it off, like shakes her head. Yeah, yeah. And snaps out of it and then is just like okay on to the next part of my plan she gets up but she leaves the room you know like it's just so like <sighs> strategic and thought out and like she knows exactly what she's doing and you kind of see that in the beginning too right where you see that she's like plan the whole thing out she's got all her sticky notes on the calendar and like when she's gonna do things and blah 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 yeah but yeah still are watching those scenes and you're like wow this is calculated like this is she is fully in control of what she's doing yeah i i think for me what really stands out is like her voiceover like like i think one of the reasons why i was so fooled by the first half of this movie is like the trailers because they were all just like her voice her voiceover of like my husband may kill me you know stuff like that and like i found it to be so chilling you know Especially yeah. the first time you watch it. And then, of course, as you watch it, you know, again, like I said, like, you start to see the cracks in that and, like, how yeah. it's too perfect. 
Well, um, and you know, but, there's that yeah. point that the that the detective makes where yeah, you're she's in that mode that you were in, right? Where she says like, and then at the end of the the last entry says, and my husband may kill me, and it's that thing where you're like, oh, dun dun dun, right? Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> but then, but then, um, Nick is like, that seems pretty convenient, doesn't it? Yeah, like, right. You know, right. you know. So that's exactly like what you're saying. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I think the two of them together, like they come from such different corners of the movie industry that like you would yeah. never picture them together. But I, it's like, it, I think even though they don't have a lot of scenes together for most of the movie, right? Like a lot of it is just like the, her diary voice, voiceovers or, you know, or him talking to her through the news, like through like the interviews and stuff. Like mm-hmm. um, it's so like there's such chemistry even when they're not on screen together, and like their chemistry changes a lot throughout the movie. Yes. Oh my god. And then when they get when she comes back at the end, I just feel like that the last like you know how however long it is, fifteen twenty minutes, whatever, is just such a roller coaster yeah. because you're like oh my god, I can't believe she's back and, like, pulling this off and you just have such, like, I think, like, empathy for him. You're like, I can't believe this is your life. Yeah, yeah. And, like, even, like, last night my boyfriend was like, I don't understand why he just doesn't leave her. And I'm like, you don't get it. Like, he can't leave her. Like, yes, he could leave her, but he can't leave her. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just, Uh, I love those, like, bookends, too, of the, the first shot and the last shot. And, it being the same thing and i just thought that was perfect like a perfect choice and you know the whole like his voiceover right of him being like what have we done to each other to you know and it's the same thing he said in the beginning and th- it has such a different weight to it at the end um i i just i love it it hits every time absolutely and um i think that's a great place to um finish up Erica, please let us know what you're working on, where where people can find you, anything else you'd like to share. Yeah, so um, gosh, I've been so busy lately. I I'm still writing at um, Cinefied, uh, writing reviews over there, and then um, podcasting with In Session Film. So you can catch me there, and I'm on Twitter. I will never call it X. Um, at- <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> at E-Rock Review. So you can find me and, and I always like retweet and post all my stuff there. So, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. This is so fun. I am joined by the great Dave Giannini. How are you? Welcome I'm back. I'm doing to the podcast. great. Thank you. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I think the first time I was like, okay, Gone Girl has to be the 100th. I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast for... <laughs> your namesake um and we definitely have a lot to talk about but i just want to ask you about kind of like your first time seeing gone girl and you know the usual question Mm -hmm. of like how has it changed for you now that you're you know a married man (laughs) Um, am i more scared scared (laughs) you know are you taking notes like what's I just gotta keep an eye on things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, the first time I saw it, like, you know, I'm sure like most people of my age or even a little bit younger, I saw it in the theaters Mm -hmm. when it first came out because I was already kind of a David Fincher disciple, just kind of love everything he does. So I was there opening day um, and I had not read the book at that point. I was only seeing it because of David Fincher. And it in some ways is a perfect David Fincher movie. 
it's it's a perfect movie, but it's also like so Fincher it hurts because it, I think it's so strange that like David Fincher is seen as this like super auteur, and I get why, right? The perfectionism and all the stuff people always talk about. But he was really a genre filmmaker in a lot of ways. If you look at like 90% of his filmography, it's all genre stuff. So it's the perfect movie for him because it's like, it's, it's trashy, right? It's a trashy book. It's a beach read. um, And only David Fincher, not only, but mostly only David Fincher could take something like this and make it into a five-star movie. So I was immediately kind of enamored with it because the source material and the quality don't quite match like it feels like it's almost too good of a movie for the material that's there yeah. and as i and as i rewatch it it's one of the few movies like that that doesn't really it doesn't really go down for me it's like always such an exciting watch because i think it's it's two movies and they're both five star movies the first half is like a straight up like CSI police procedural and it's perfect. It would be a perfect hour of television. Mm -hmm. And then of course the flip happens, right? Which I think is the one thing that makes rewatches so interesting because the first time again, hadn't read the book, didn't know anything about it. Had no, I just thought like, maybe this is just, you know, we're going to find her dead somewhere. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then the movie completely flips itself on its head and becomes a completely different movie. And that movie, that hour, is also incredible. And it it's another thing where it, like, it shouldn't work together because they're so different. But I think as you look back on it and you kind of piece all these things together and you get these two sides of the same story and try to figure out what's true and what's not and which of these people is the most damaged and the most toxic and I think as you put it together, it it kind of like grows in my estimation every time I watch it because it still holds together. But no, I am not worried that my wife is going to <laughs> gone girl me. I think I think I mean, you okay. made gone girl her. You never know. <laughs> oh, that's true. We don't have to limit it to gender. That's true. <laughs> gone, Dave. I'd, I'd watch that. Right. Dave. Um, I feel like you would just like instead of going to like, I don't know, like some like trashy, like Southern town, you would just go to like a movie theater. I would, I would, I would go to some city like Chicago, Austin, New York, LA. Those are the options. (laughs) So I could finally stop complaining. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Well, I think it's interesting because like, I also agree about David Fincher being more of a journeyman director than I think he gets credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you look at, um, you know, like it's, it's, when you look at movies like, you know, Benjamin Button and Mank and, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, Alien 3, if you even want to like go there. Boom. I know. Let's yeah. not ever talk about that. <laughs> but like, he definitely does dabble in a lot of different things or like home yeah. invasion and like, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to call it by club, you know, like dystopian <laughs> right. male satire, whatever. <laughs> Um, but, and, and I think with Gone Girl, like, I like to think of Gone Girl and like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as like two, like mm. kind of like t- two movies that kind of fit together. And not just because they both have girl in the title, but the, although <laughs> I do think it's interesting. I, I really, oh, I really wish that was your only reason. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> I mean, look, as soon as he makes Girl Fight Club or Girl oh, Seven, okay. you know, okay. um, but not just that, because I mean, I feel like they are the most that like put girls or put women in the same kind of 
role that you know a lot mm. of his like male protagonists can be in yeah. in terms of like how much they drive the narrative and like I mean, I think even Panic Room can fit into that too. And sure. I mean, some people will say that Kate Blanchett is the protagonist of Benjamin Button, which I don't disagree with. But um, I definitely think these two movies are like the ones where like they feel like not only, you know, like peak kind of Fincher form and like that look and everything, but also just the like, you know, you have these two women who are, you know, very, and then it's, but like they're not even just like two, like, I would say Panic Room is like women centered, like completely. Cause like the two main characters are women. You know, of course you have all like the supporting characters, but like in, I think Girl the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl, it's like they are like two handers, but like the girl's kind of driving the plot and the men are just kind yeah. of like, okay, let's, how do I like keep up with what's happening? Um, yeah. And I think what separates something like Panic Room is Panic Room to me is more like they're the, the two women are lead characters, but it's like things are, happening to them and they're and they're reacting whereas these other two movies you mentioned it's like no they are they're the driving force like ben affleck god love him is like a perfect bump on a log uh throughout most most of gone girl and it's really he's reacting to everything that amy is doing right and then of course the second half is all her so it's it i feel like these female characters have a little bit more power than he has in panic room or the curious case of benjamin button and it's interesting i was thinking about this in terms of like genre and how this fits in and stupidly my first thought was like well except for curious case of benjamin button that's not really genre that's like a that's like a romance i was like it's it's science fiction like it's yeah, right. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Like maybe Mank is the only one that doesn't really fit into like hardcore genre because it's it's kind of a it's a biopic, you know. Yeah, it, it's yeah. well done, but it's still by bi- a biopic. And like even Zodiac, which is based on truth, is like a hard driving genre mystery, yeah, right? Suspense yeah. and definitely like a know, procedural so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is interesting that like God, everything he's done. Even the one he doesn't talk about in Alien Three, obviously a pure genre movie. So. Yeah, and I mean, I I feel like I mean, David Fincher, like I feel like he's one of those directors that is like so overly discussed that it's like almost uh, he's like almost underrated or like maybe not underrated, yeah, but like I think he gets taken for granted, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like how like uh, how much emotion are in his movies, like. Also, like Christopher Nolan, he gets being he gets called like mm. cold and calculating and from a distance. And I think there is that too. But I feel like like when I watch Gone Girl, you know, I watched it, you know, that you know last weekend, and um, and uh, I was like really, really like I I found the like the like the romance angle of it, or, like the the marriage story part of it, so compelling and so like. You know, not because I like, not because like they're a couple to like believe in, but just the like the push and pull of their <laughs> dynamic and like how much they really can't resist each other and how much like no matter how much they are almost successfully broken apart from each other, they just get pulled right back in. And that to me feels very right. compelling. And that that's that's an emotional thing. That's like a guttural attraction and repulsion that they can't overcome. You know, especially in that second half or like in the climax yeah. of the movie, you know, like it's telling that the climax doesn't happen when she returns and it's not like 
two minutes later it ends after she's like hey i'm back and you're stuck with me but they have this whole dialogue about like you know why we got married and you know what you're doing Mm -hmm. with me and what we're looking for from each other and i think you know when you look back at like fincher's career i think there's a lot i mean you know some would say fight club is also a romance i definitely agree that it has mm-hmm. i think fight club is like two romantic comedies in one or like two <laughs> one totally. dark you know? romantic comedies right? i yes. guess maybe it's a love triangle i guess but like there's definitely <laughs> like you know there's that element to it and i, I think even like seven you know the whole emotional yeah. pull of the climax is that we all know what's in the box and we don't want to admit it and i think like yeah, he, he's very calculated. He probably does a thousand takes, whatever, who cares about that? <laughs> but like, I think in, even the girl, the dragon tattoo, like that is a love story in my opinion. Yeah, and I think I agree. Is a, it's also like vengeance, this like female vengeance that mm-hmm. feels also very emotional and feels very much like we need to do this for the sake of, you know, the monsters that come for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I honestly think if someone came up to me and said that like Fitcher is cold and he's not romantic, I would know that they're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's tempting because of all the stuff about all the takes and all that crazy stuff, um, and the fact that many of his films are male centered. It's very easy to not see him as a romantic. But if you watch that scene in Gone Girl with the with the sugar. Like, that's pure romance. If you separate it from this narrative and you just show someone that lead up and that sequence, that is a swoon-worthy romantic sequence. And if you look at basically the whole of Benjamin Button, that is a capital R romance. Like, he has that in him. Frank Capra. Yes, absolutely. Like, he he has that romance in him. He just doesn't only do that and i think when we focus on the procedural aspects it's very easy to get lost because he is so wildly talented in that arena that we can sometimes forget that his romance stuff really works too i mean and it makes sense that it would because he started out in music videos you and to be a great music video director which he was you have to be wildly efficient with your visual language you have to be able to in three and a half minutes get across rage heartbreak romance new relationships death whatever you have to get all that stuff across and he's a master at that and i think you can see that in his work even now even with like his most recent stuff like the killer you want to talk about efficient not much dialogue you've got it right there and i think he's i I think he is weirdly like i agree with you that strangely even though he is thought of usually in like the top 10 of working directors he's still kind of underrated because we think of him like well he only does this because he does the genre thing and i'm like but that's not true you need to look a little bit deeper yeah just like in the just like in the relationship with with gone girl like the brilliance of this movie starting and ending with similar shots with the back of her head and it starts out romantic and then it ends like i just kind of want to crack her skull open and it's like whoa this is so brilliant and efficient and he is just kind of a master it's it's one of the reasons i love gone girl so much is it's just it's like kind of a perfect circular narrative that's done almost purely with visuals yeah no i totally agree and like and going back to like music videos like i mean he worked with like madonna and like paula abdul like these are very like romantic i mean madonna especially like her visuals are always so 
lush and romantic and like calling mm-hmm. back to like old old hollywood like yes you know icons and and all they represented as like the cinematic glamour uh, and i feel like also because he does a lot of like movies about like murder or like you know you know kidnapping or like even like when you go to like the social network like a mm-hmm. very tech broy tech movie about you know social media or whatever like I feel like that also he gets lumped in as just being like for guys and just like not, right, but like right. social network is all about a love story at the end. Yeah. Know, it's all about what a guy does because like, you know, he like lost the girl that he thinks he's in love with. And so, right. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Like not every, not every movie focused on love is about a romance requited. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, it's the driving force. It's the like, this woman who I feel like I was destined to be with said no and said more than no, like told me exactly where to stick it. Yeah. And I never got over it so much that I was mean to Andrew Garfield, which I can't imagine ever being that cruel. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Like that's just un- unbelievable. Um, but he makes it fine. Um, excuse me. Where does, um, where does Gone Girl sit in your venture ranking? Man, that's so hard. Like, especially for someone who, like me who loves Fincher. Um, it's prob but it's probably in the top three for me. Um, I th- I think it's like, you know, um Dragon Tattoo, Social Network, and this, which is yeah. which is hard because there's no Zo- has top four because Zodiac, Zodiac I, it's, in there, yeah. Zodiac, like they're all so good. Uh, you know, not every movie he did was perfect, but like there is a chunk that is like to me kind of unassailable. And this one feels different, like I mentioned, because of the source material. It's like it guilty pleasure is the wrong word because it's a great movie but it does feel kind of like grimy and trashy like yeah much yeah. More, even more than something like seven because seven is so hyper serious there's actually a fair amount of like not like laughs like belly laughs but like cleverness to this script that really works i mean i definitely do think this movie is funny um and i do think that gone girl is very i think that there are some like belly laughs i mean for me, I feel like Fincher is definitely a movie is a, a director that like rewards rewatches and like I think yes. his sense of humor really comes out the more you watch his movies. Like you right. know, I mean, I think even like you know, Fight Club I think is very funny. I think Seven has mm-hmm. some like, I mean, Seven has a lot of black comedy in it. I think, um, but I yeah. think Gone Girl like you know, I mean, famously Anne Hathaway called it her favorite favorite romantic comedy, and I think she's right because there's so yeah, this movie is so extreme that it's like it like becomes it goes back into the like absurdism and like mm-hmm. um how much of um like how far this woman goes to like get rid of her husband like most people would just like pack a bag and go but she like right or just not only file frames for friggin' murder, divorce. But, like what it's like a year long process of like you know, stealing her neighbor's urine and writing fake diaries. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, and then not only that, but then she gets robbed like two weeks into her, like, (laughs) and she has, you know, it's like, it's like, it's so, it's so absurd. It is ridiculous. You want to talk about grand gestures. Stealing your neighbor's urine, your pregnant neighbor's urine. That is a level that Matthew McConaughey could never dream in his rom-coms. And like, 
she's like, yeah, very casually. She's like, I just drained my toilet. I mean, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that yeah. is. Yeah. And yeah. It's a lot it of no 20, big deal. She did here. it in 2014, like <laughs> without TikTok to show her. Yes. How, like, what an icon. how did you learn this? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. How did True you learn feminist guess, icon. Yeah. I guess YouTube was around back then, but like, was that a thing people did like go on YouTube back in the day? I don't know. <laughs> 10 years ago. Like, it's just, it's so crazy, you know? And like, but like, but like, this is like, like, this is why like Fincher is almost a really perfect filmmaker for this. And like, I wish I had gone and done like the research about like how he got involved. I guess I should do that. But like, um, <laughs> you know, but like, um, they get what they pay for Manish. Because like the way, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, because the way Gillian Flynn like wrote this character and like wrote out this very like extreme, but very detailed way in which she, you know, conducts her plan, like that's fincher and to me it's like no one else but fincher could do this even though when you look at this book yeah you're right it is something people pick up at the airport it is something that i got passed around like thousands of you know women-led book clubs and i'm sure a lot of men who love gone girl now were very anti the book (laughs) yes but it's like this feels so like classic fincher you know because of the way like it's basically like seven if it weren't Kevin Spacey and were an amazing iconic, you know, queen, you know? Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I think it works because it's filmed like a procedural. I think yeah. the book, which I ended up reading later is, you know, an absolute barn burner, like just a page turner. And you just have to like leave a little bit of your logical brain at the door. Like, Oh man, this is wild. And you just go, go, go. Where is the film version? Like as you're watching her plan out the steps and put in her, you know, write her diary your calendar you're like oh this is the next step and this is the next step this totally makes sense he brings you along enough for you to be like yeah totally steal your neighbor's urine yeah that's what we do okay next step now uh, this is the day i commit suicide what okay i guess right exactly yeah like uh, wild it's i mean and i just like love fincher's like sense of humor with this kind of stuff because i feel like he does that like i he does that like kind of irony satire mm. really well because like yes i think because he's so calculated and such a you know perfectionist quote unquote whatever mm-hmm. but like the, to me that just heightens the level of like commitment he brings and like he brings to his like filmmaking and to his actors and to his you know his writers and his you know crew um mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah, like the more you write out kill cell, if you write it out like a thousand <laughs> times, you're gonna believe Incredible. it. And that's even funnier, you know? Or like the more time like you have Ben Affleck smile in a selfie, like oh, God. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Like it's like the more times you do it, the more it makes mm. sense and you're just like the more it like makes sense to you and you internalize it and that just makes it funnier. And that's why like this movie is such a yeah. you know, wonderful comedy, even though it's like yeah. so bizarre. And it- and I think maybe besides some parts of Fight Club, like this is maybe his most on the surface comedic film. Yeah. Like, yeah, cause it's so sure. ridiculous. I just like, honestly, like when you said kill self, cause I forgot that's what was written <laughs> on the couch. Like I started laughing cause it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Like this is not, and you have the like Nancy Grace stand in. I mean, like all oh of God. this stuff yeah. works so, so well. I mean, all this stuff with, you know, Amy's family, it's like, and him smiling next to the wanted post, like it's, or next to the like find Amy poster. It's just, yeah. Ben Affleck 
reflect, especially at this period in his career, was you could not have cast a more perfect Nick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Character. Like, because he was like charming, but also kind of hated at this point. Like, oh, that, you know, with the Jennifer Garner stuff and the, you know, like everything else going on. He was like a very hateable presence, but also quite a good actor. Um, so you have that. And you want to talk about Fincher as a director. He got a gr- I will say this great capital G great performance from Tyler Perry. Yeah. yeah. Like that is a great performance as that year. I, if I had been doing nominations, best supporting actor, Tyler Perry words, I never thought I'd say, but yeah. here we are. <laughs> no, exactly. And like, I mean, I think Fincher is like, he's so meticulous in his casting. So I feel like everyone mm-hmm. from like, you know, of course, Carrie Coon, you know, I mean, now it's like crazy to think of like Bertha Russell as like from the Gilded Age, you know, as yes, like yes. Ben Affleck's sister. I mean, it is funny <laughs> because like, I think um, she's still younger than he was when they made this movie, even though they're playing to win. I think crazy. they're like 12 years apart. That's wild. Um, I mean, he, he's ageless. <laughs> like he'll, he'll always yeah. look the same. But it's true. It's only been ten years, so I think she's still younger than he was when they made this. Even though that's that's wild. That's the research I did for this. Um, but that like and, doesn't make sense in my brain. How? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have like Missy Pyle. You have Kim Dickens. You have um, mm-hmm. the Twink Sheriff, or the Deputy. I forgot his name. Uh, you know Tyler Perry, of course. You have Lola Kirk. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. It's, I mean, it's crazy. Um, it's a murderer's row cast, yeah. like, for sure. And, you know, when you're that great as a director, that that's what happens. And, like, yeah, you people get... want to work for you even for, like, three seasons. Do, um, no, it's Casey Wilson as mm-hmm. the neighbor. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Just, yeah, it's one of those things where... <laughs> I think about this when I think about actors who are difficult too. like, you you better be really good at your job. Like if you're going to do 900 takes for this scene, you better be David freaking Fincher or people are going to be like, I'm not putting up with this. Yeah, no, exactly. And I I mean, I think just to kind of like, you know, kind of finish up, you know, in the next Mm -hmm. minutes, like, I feel like, you know, this is a, um, I feel like Fincher just like has that quality of like, people just know, like, People just know that like it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of you know intensity, mm-hmm. but the results are going to be, you know, what they are. And th- I- I've never seen anyone be like he's like rude or like whatever. Like he, yeah. he just comes across yeah. like a gentleman that just knows what he wants and is like, mm-hmm. you know. And like to me, that's like you know that's what I really admire about him. And I think that's why he can make a movie that's as romantic and absurd and thrilling and horrifying as Gone Girl. That is now, you know, a 10-year-old classic. Oof. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I just thought about it. Like, of course, I've listened to countless interviews about Fincher because every time there's a press tour, everyone's like, so tell us about David Fincher. How hard is yeah. it to work with them? How much yeah. of a pain? And everyone's like, yeah, there's a lot of takes. But then the, there's a there's a really great interview with, with Ruffalo about Zodiac where yeah, yeah. he goes on and on. And then he's like, what he was really looking at is where the extra was standing. Like, he sees everything Everything, yeah and he's just like no okay delete this do this do this and he's just got kind of an eye for that stuff but he's never like we're gonna do another take because you're a freaking idiot like you suck at this but it's just like no we're just we're gonna keep going because we're gonna get it right and you know it's the glory of of digital photography right (laughs) we we don't have to like you know get more film we could just erase it and move on forward and yeah he and you see him in interviews he's just 
he's a little trollish sometimes like he plays with stuff but he's never out and out rude like he seems like genuinely just kind of a nice dude um like you said who knows what he wants and he's going to take his time however much time it takes to get it and god bless him because he gave us a lot of really great movies and very few of them better than gone girl that's a great place to end thank you so much dave um what Mm -hmm. would you like to plug or anything you are working on or want to share with uh, oh sure yeah um you can find me on the hellscape that is twitter x whatever uh at darn that dave uh i am also podcasting again at off screen death um and i am the full-time editor at in session film so you can find lots Lots of work there that I have my my hands in just about everything over there. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dave. And now we are on to our next guest. So I'm now joined by uh, a really great friend of the podcast, Aaron Fraser. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm good. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always always great to have you on the podcast, uh-huh. and especially about you know movies that you know you and I both both love. Um, talking mm-hmm. about Gone Girl. Um, so, what was it like the first couple times you saw the movie, and how has it um, you know evolved over the years for you? So, uh, my, my partner, Matt and I, uh, took my mom to see this movie. Oh, wow. Love that. <laughs> because she, uh, she really likes, uh, you know, like twisty thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like David Fincher is definitely a, a director that, you know, she's liked past films and, uh, the whole kind of, uh, thriller and mystery angle of this film I knew would be totally up her alley. Um, did I know where it would go? <laughs> Not necessarily. So you and hadn't so, read the book or knew the, the the twist? No, I read the book after. I read oh, the book wow. after I saw the film. Uh, so uh, I would say like, you know, for, for the majority of the film, seemed like totally a fine movie to have taken my mom to. Yeah. Um, and then kind of within the last 15, 20 minutes, <laughs> uh, when things really pop off, yeah. uh, maybe not a typical movie you take your mom to. However, uh, I watch, I, I, I watch a lot of movies with my mom and, uh, she and I were totally fine with it. But my partner, Matt, afterwards was like, that was a really intense scene to be watching right beside your mom. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming like people, people know that the scene I'm talking about, you know, with, yeah, with, yeah, uh, with sure. Rosin Pike and Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that is, uh, yeah. That, yeah it's a hard one to watch for sure. Especially with, especially when you're not expecting it. Like, my, yeah. I think my parents can probably handle more than they give themselves credit for with that kind of stuff. But I think when it's like, um, like when we saw, I saw Oppenheimer with my parents, like in between my mm-hmm. parents. And, uh, I knew about the whole, like, you know, of course the nudity controversy had already been going on, but my parents are blessfully offline. <laughs> and, uh, I was just like, okay, I was like waiting for it for 20 minutes and it was fine. Like my yeah. dad had some things to say about it, but, um, it, it was fine, but yeah, it is kind of like, it's, it's, you know, when you're not expecting it, it can be very uh, yeah. shocking. <laughs> um, I took 
I, I took both my parents off. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, uh, again, like, I think it was more awkward for my partner than it was for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just cause, uh, I don't know. I've, I've always watched a lot of movies with my parents and, um, adult themes has never really been anything that, I don't know, has been difficult to watch with them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that certainly, I think, um, is, not unusual, but puts a spin on the first time I saw the movie. Yeah. Uh, and then I, re- and then I read the book because I, I, I don't know. It was just, I think there's something really, um, intoxicating about, about this movie and this story that like, I just, I don't think I was fully satisfied with the movie. So I wanted to read the book and I'd actually deliberately, like I'd actually already bought it before I saw the film, but I held mm-hmm. off on reading it because I didn't want the book to ruin the movie. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the thing with a, yeah. With, with a movie like this or like a story like this, where like you kind of, I definitely like would have rather have, I never, I don't think I've read the book. I mean, I know I haven't read the book yet, <laughs> but um Partially because I was like, I don't want my experience in the movie to be like tainted by, you know, kind of similar mm-hmm. thing. And I, yeah. Um, and I think, yeah. I think I prefer the movie. Um, yeah. I think kind of Fincher, like, fin- I'm not always the biggest fan of Fincher. I think he can sometimes be a, um, like just very surface level and, and dumb. <laughs> Mm-hmm. for lack of a better better way to explain it like i just i i really can't stand fight club i rewatched it recently and i just um hasn't aged well but i think there there are moments and i think like the big ones for me are the gone girl zodiac and the social network where i think kind of his surface level approach to things and the material just come together in a way um that kind of they both become richer and and deeper yeah i i i I can agree with that i feel like i like his latter day or like i guess his mid-period now Mm. more so than you know the early works and definitely i mean you know make them a killer are are fine you know they're enjoyable but i definitely like that like yeah that zodiac through you know gone girl era Mm -hmm. you know give or take benjamin button which i i do like probably more than a lot of people but I mean, I would I would consider like Zodiac, Social Network, Dragon Tattoo, and Gone Girl to be like I think the peak four mm-hmm. for me. Um, and so, okay, you saw Gone Girl with your with um with with your partner back, and then now it's been like ten years. So, like, how has like the like the movie's take on like relationships, you know, without getting too personal or too prior or anything, but like, how has that like change for you as like as you've gotten older as you you know um have been you know experienced like relationships and all that comes with it you know more or has it not at all like what's the i mean i think i i i find the film just as kind of insightful um as i did when i saw it 10 years ago you know i think i think i still really appreciate a lot of what it has to say and the way that it presents um, what it's like to be in a partnership in a way that I find um, not necessarily cynical, but there's, there's kind of a, there's a, there's an edge to it that, that maybe now I find 
even funnier and more romantic than I did the first time. Because I think the first time kind of the twists and turns of the mystery are a big part of, of kind of what you're following along with. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think on repeated viewing, um, it's the way it presents romantic relationships really starts to, to, to crystallize um, and just kind of the, the edge that it has the really, like it's, 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 it's a very funny film. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think it just it kind of takes the 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 small compromises that you you make every day in your life when you're when you're with someone um and just kind of stretches them to uh the extreme uh mm-hmm. in a way that I find very true and very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I think that I think I definitely agree with a lot or all of what you're saying and I, I think it's interesting, like having been in a like my first like long term relationship, it, you know, that's been over two and a half years now. Like, and watching Gone Girl, it's it is interesting to see like how um, how even like I mean, I don't, I'm not in a heterosexual relationship, mm-hmm. but um, and so there's like differences there. But um, it, it, I find this movie to be really kind of even more incisive than, you know, I well, then when I watched it when I was single. And even, like, looking back at my past relationships and how, like, you know, how it kind of looked, how that how the movie kind of reflected those relationships in some interesting ways. Um, uh, and, uh, I you know, I like, the one part of the movie that I think is, like, really, I don't want to say controversial, but definitely like the one of the most talked about parts of the movie is, of course, like the the cool girl monologue. And like mm-hmm. I have I have friends who hate the cool girl monologue. They're like, it's not really? true, it's not accurate. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Like they, they were like, oh, it's just like nonsense. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't reflect. I mean, you know, I, but I see like with anything like this, and like it actually, when I was watching the the the, the movie for this podcast, like. It, was, it had been the first time I watched the movie after seeing Barbie and like America Ferrera's mm-hmm. monologue came to mind of like this idea of like always being like pulled in different directions and like having to like perform something while, you know, trying to be something else, but also like not being too much of what you're performing as. And just, I mean, like, I think the two, I think like the Barbie monologue and the, the Gone Girl monologue are like two, like, sides of the same coin or I think they kind mm-hmm. of relate to each other in some ways but so you're 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 kind of shocked that I know someone in real life who doesn't have the cool girl monologue says a lot and I was wondering like what your take on it is and like how um you know how you find that to be you know 10 years later well I think I think it's important to to acknowledge that first of all like it is coming from Amy's perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my next. You know. So, yeah. So, like, yeah. I think that monologue is so fitting for her character. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there is truth to it. Um, and I was I was thinking a lot about the the gender aspects of this film earlier because it does really present um, relationships as kind of men and women. However, I do think a lot of what they say. And I mean, full disclosure, I've only been in a in a heteronormative relationship, but but I do think that kind of the what it has to say about the roles within relationships and the way that we 
perform our relationships both with our partner, with ourself, and publicly, I do think that stuff probably um, transcends gender, even though in this film, you know, we are seeing it through kind of men and women. Uh, and the cool girl monologue, I think, I think it's very true. I think whether people realize it or not, they subtly change themselves to appeal to their partner, to yeah. like the things that their partner likes. Uh, and, and they do also feel a pressure to kind of be the kind of person that their partner wants, yeah. you know? And, and that's what it's about. And I think it's really important that Amy points out that the cool girl is different. Like the idea of the cool girl is different by like, depending on the guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause, cause whatever, whatever the guys are interested in, they're going to want different things out of the potential cool girl in their life. And I think it also points to kind of sacrifices that, that, that women, um, cause again, like the film does present it in, in gender, in, in the, in this gender binary. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the expectations and the things that, that women often, um, do to please their partners to be, but I'm sure this also happens, you know, in, um, in same sex relationships as well. You know, you do change yourself yeah. and, and, and there is a sacrifice there. And so Amy is upset because she's made these sacrifices and she understands that she makes these sacrifices. And then what she expects from Nick in return, she's not being given. And so that contract um, of what she's done for the relationship is totally broken. Yeah. I, that's interesting because like, I've, 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 a little re revelation that I have watching Gone Girl this time is like, I've been on both sides of, of that sacrifice exchange, right? Where like, that's why I've, I was thinking it can't just be like, yes, I think often in heteronormative relationships, men do this for, sorry, women do this for men. But I was like, but I'm sure, I'm sure in same sex relationships that this also happens. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the difference being that, like, there's probably a more societal pressure in heteronormative relationships for the women to change. And, like, mm -hmm. I've seen that with, like, the, you know, the women that I know who are now married to men, like, um, where, you know, they're so, like, headstrong and, like, confident and, like, assertive and, like, know what they want and they're single and then they get married and suddenly it's, like, well, you know, we do this now because of this, or like, you know, like my husband doesn't like this, so we don't do it, or this is how mm -hmm. we're raising the kids, or how we're treating the pets, or, you know, whatever. And like, and I was just kind of like, I'm like, sometimes I've had this moment of like, where, where'd you go? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that it's definitely like, um, more of a, uh, yeah, like pressure and just more just like the expectation. Um, and then noticing in myself, like times when I've been like Nick, where I'm like, I need my partner to change for my own comfort. Um, and that was kind of like something that I felt really bad. I mean, even my current relationship where I, I mean, we're happy together, but like I've noticed in ways in which we've kind of had to, you know, play different roles for each other. And, um, and it, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting to like have that awareness. And I think what, 
what I find interesting about Amy is that like her, her, like her speech or her like thought, her like manifesto, if you will, like it, um, there, there's definitely this like element of like bitterness and mm-hmm. just like in the way that like her life was and like how it turned out, you know, how she's like stuck in this like, you know, nothing town, ostensibly to take care of a relative that isn't even alive anymore. So it's like, why are we even here? And then you had the added economic pressures and the familiar pressures and all that. Um, so, and then she's replaced with a younger model. And then right? she's replaced like, by a younger, bouncier model. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and I, I think it does get lost uh, to, to your point earlier that like this is not you know Gillian Flynn or David Fincher are, like speaking to the audience like as a yeah. like, speech. This is like coming from a character who's allowed to have faulty you know, imperfect, bitter thoughts about her situation. That doesn't mean that, like, this is true for everyone. But I think when you present something in a monologue, especially, like, I I think it's easy for something like this to, like, go viral Mm. and, you know, get get applied, you know, along a wide range of experiences that might not match up with Amy's exactly. Um, Well, because... I think it is relatable. Yeah, But you have to remember that it is the thoughts of a soap. As a sociopath, <laughs> yeah, you know, but but also I think like it's it's important to under that that monologue is so important um, because then you understand I think what she's asking Nick to do uh, at the end of the film is for him to now be the cool girl, like yeah. he has to be the one who is who is going to make the sacrifices and. And perform the way yeah. she has had to perform. Now he has to perform, and the thing that he's going to get out of it is a child. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas you know, before before the thing that she got out of it was, you know, a loving, perfect, devoted husband. Now, if he if he is if he wants to get what he wants, he is is the one I think who has to, um, yeah, perform both within the relationship but also like publicly. So here's my question, which there might not be an answer to, but I, I just want to throw it out there as a thought experiment. Like, do you think that Nick is capable of that level of performance and change and sacrifice? Now, some men are, and I think that, you know, there's definitely ways in which, you know, this can happen. I mean, this can work, I guess, kind of. But Nick, as we know him as the character, do you think he's capable of it? I think he is out of fear. Mm, that's interesting. I don't think he'd ever change uh, to suit her for her sake, the way that she will for him. But he's afraid. <laughs> he now knows what she's capable of. And so he will, mm. he has to, yeah. he has to do it. Um, and you know, there's like so much when, like when they're laying out kind of the early years of their relationship, we hear so much about how they don't want to be like all those other couples. They are going to be the exception. Uh, and then what we see is how they become like all those other couples. And so by the end of the film, you have this relationship dynamic that yes, is like been, Push to the extreme, almost satire, I'd say. Yeah. Um, 
of what like a henpecked husband is of like now the wife has like very early on he had all the control now the wife has all the control um and she will make him do what she wants to do um and it's and and i think that that's important like they become this grotesque version of this couple that they're always saying they hate yeah and that they don't want to be like yeah yeah i i, I think that's definitely really that's a really, uh, I, I think that's a really interesting analysis because like my first in- instinct is to be like, no, like he's going to fall back in his pattern. Like maybe for the, for, for a while he'll be, you know, he'll do it. But then like once the reality of being a parent, you know, like is, is once he's confronted with that reality, like I can't imagine that he's going to step up just because, you know, but he, he also, like he also understands um that like when he gives the the tv interview Mm -hmm. um he knows that he's not trying to get like the public to like him the only thing he's trying to do is to get her to fall back in love with him right right yeah and so i think that's where you started to see that he understands this game Mm, yeah yeah i that's 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 true and like this, it kind of reminded reminded me of uh, Phantom Thread in a bit, where it's like, mm. you know, you have this. I mean, that's another movie that I would call. I mean, I covered it on this podcast before, but like, I would definitely call this a. You know, uh, I, I, these two movies together feel like very like, very like twisted like romantic comedies. You know, um, mm-hmm. and you know, you have to wonder what Anne Hathaway <laughs> thinks of Phantom Thread since she's such a fan of of Gone Girl, but. Um, for for yeah, for this reason of this like kind of idea of this like romantic comedy of like having this you know couple fall into this like as we're saying like grotesque version of like heteronormative relationships and mm-hmm. um i think that it's a um i think it's kind of it's interesting to like have this like happy little family that everyone knows is a facade a mirage but that everyone's kind of forced to play into it. And I, I think you're right, actually. I mean, I, I, I think that he, I think he will, I think he has a better understanding of who he's married to and who, um, or like and what game he has to play. Um, just like I think in Phantom Thread, like, you know, Reynolds understands that like in order for him to live as he needs to, he's going to have to accept being made sick mm-hmm. every, you know, every few weeks or whatever. And that's just the, that's the give and take of their relationship. And one of the most kind of classic romantic comedy structures is, is how, how you get the couple back together. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like yeah. that's Philadelphia story. Yeah. That's truth. Yeah. his girl Friday. Yeah. Like that is, that is one of the most tried and true structures. And I always find it interesting um, that we have all of these really kind of um, just like modern takes on on that structure. Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind is one of the big ones that comes to mind mm. of just kind of like, how do we get the couple back together when like the idea of romance is so broken? <laughs> right, right. And I really do think like, that that is that 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 this film fits into kind of like that that classic idea of you know like okay the couple they 
They've fallen out of love, but they're meant to be together. So what's it going to take to get them back together? And that's ultimately what I think the trajectory of this film is. And it's just like, this is just such a, like, God, like operatic take on, like, how do I get my husband back? Right, right. Well, I'm going to threaten him with the death penalty. (laughs) I'm going to make everyone, everyone think that he's awful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely very Funhouse, you know, Funhouse mirror version. And, like, yeah, to me, that that's where the, like, that's where the comedy comes from. Because, like, it's, like, yeah. this absurdist thing of, like, taking taking all these ideas to the extreme, right? And, like, creating this relationship that is, um, you know, or creating this, like, ro- like, romantic comedy that is structured like the Philadelphia story, The Awful Truth. But then it's, like, also involves, like murder and like framing people for murder and all this stuff and like and yet you kind of feel this like you feel there's some pull between these characters that is hard for them to um to deny or to um avoid Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can i completely agree and i think like amy is hilarious like again if if people struggle to see this as a romantic comedy like everything she does and says is uh i don't know i just like i I think especially on rewatches that like the movie becomes funnier and funnier oh yeah yeah for sure um well um aaron thank you so so much there's one more thing i want to mention because you're only gonna get it from me okay you're only going to get it from me. It's a total aside to uh, everything that we've been talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there is, uh, so obviously, like, it's a running um, kind of um, plot point in the film that Nick isn't, like, an alcoholic uh, and is always, like, turning to to drinking. He has a bar. Uh, and in one scene, uh, when he's drinking at home, there is a bottle of Singani. <laughs> on his uh counter and he is he is drinking Sangani. And I find this I find this fascinating um because Sangani is a spirit that I think the majority of audience the majority of the audience for this film has no idea what it is. Yeah. And I'm gonna do you have any idea what it is? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> it is a Bolivian eau de vie and this particular bottle is Sangani 63 which shows up in a ton of movies and I don't know if it's just like that I know to look for it that I like keep seeing it um or if like I don't know it really is like as popular in movies as it as it appears to be uh but it is Steven Soderbergh's right yeah and so I I some kind of in joke sorry it must be some kind of like in joke with like all his friends well, from what I've read, it's that a lot of liquor brands don't want to appear in movies because often characters are shown uh, dr- drinking in like in a negative light. Oh, I and see. so Steven Soderbergh is always willing to let his brand be seen in movies. Anyways, so I just I uh, I'm, I'm sorry for this aside. No, this is why we. Had <laughs> but I really wanted to point out yeah. that uh, he's drinking a bottle of Singani sixty three. No, you no, we... you also see it in. Um, Oh, um, the last five years, the Anna oh, Kendrick wow. one. Uh, and you also see it obviously in like Magic Mike's Last Dance. I really need to start keeping a list of everywhere <laughs> you see it because I'm just like, 
people are going to think that this that the Singani is like far more popular than it is. No one knows what she is. <laughs> and yet, like, when you know to look for it, you start to see it. Yeah, wow. See, this is how we have you on the podcast. I would never okay, have noticed good. that or clocked that in any other but, movie. Um, so, And I didn't notice that. it 10 years ago. So... <laughs> <laughs> amazing i love that um okay, well thank you. <laughs> thank you for thank you for that and thank you for everything um aaron please let the listeners know what you're working on your amazing podcast and wherever they can find you sure so i do i do two film podcasts um one is called trash or in the movies uh it's a show that i do with uh my podcast co-host paul matwichuk where we take like a high art film and a low art film that have something in common and uh we discuss them we also uh do uh episodes where we just kind of discuss new releases and whatever we've been watching and then i do a podcast with my partner who i mentioned uh matt bose uh called bollywood is for lovers all about uh hindi language cinema and kind of our perspectives on it as uh people who are not south asian um but love movies and then i'm on twitter at aaron e fraser it's my letterbox handle and yeah (laughs) all right thank you so much thank you for having me i am joined by uh ben miller how are you i'm doing well sir how are you I'm doing well. Really excited to have you on the podcast and yes. to uh, talk about um, Gone Girl. Now, I just want to know kind of your first time watching the movie. Had you read the book? Had um, you read the book since? And kind of how has it changed for you over the last 10 years or so? So it's funny. This is one of my most memorable theater going experiences in okay, my life. Great. I, um, I, I was, uh, I had. Going into it, I had heard there was a twist and I and everybody was saying going into it like Rosamund Pike is going to be an Oscar nominee. Rosamund Pike's going to be an Oscar nominee. So I was like, okay, well, so that means Amy's going to be a big thing. And everybody's like kind of like as I heard the the big twist of the movie, the big twist of the movie. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, the twist is she's alive because why would she have a thick, big part? She's not dead. She's definitely not dead. So I figured it out really early that she's not dead. Well, Whenever I knew that was coming, I'm watching it with my wife and my wife's best friend, and we're in the theater. And as soon as I'm so much happier now that I'm dead happens, they're just slack jawed and just like oh, looking over at me. And I'm just like, yes, yes, I'm so happy. They just could not believe what was happening. And then they were then they were riveted from the, they were they were into it anyway. Uh, and then from then on out, like it was it was just smooth sailing. Um, I have not read the book. I have. It, it, I, I don't know why, like, sometimes, especially with this, like, I don't know, like, if I read the book, it would be, I would be comparing it too much to Fincher. I did this already with Fight Club. I watched Fight Club, really liked Fight Club. Then I read the book, and I went, I like what Fincher did better. And it took away from what the book actually is, which is his own thing. So I was not about to be like, oh, you know, I like the movie as it is. I think it's not fair to the book for me to actually read it like people like it awesome but it's just not really uh something i was interested in because because i have such reverence for the movie and now it's on tv a lot more than you think um and so it's on and i have the opportunity to watch it a lot and it's one that i revisit quite a bit because it's incredibly watchable just like all of fincher just what the entire thing of what fincher does it's like i'm gonna make things super dark and you're not in on paper. You're not going to watch it again. 
but you're going to watch this a bunch. Like, there's no reason I should have seen a girl with a dragon tattoo as many times as I've seen it, but I have. Like, it's just the nature of what Fincher does. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, like, I feel like I've seen this movie so many times. Um, yeah. I haven't, I don't think I've had cable since the movie came out. So I did not know that it was on TV a lot, but I imagine, like, yeah. that's not too hard for me to picture just because, like, it feels like one of those movies you could just pick up and watch from wherever because all yeah. parts of it are really yeah. Um, you, are are you, know. you are you in the point where like uh, or they they you know uh, Kim Dickens is is really getting into the meat of the case and they're looking yeah. around the mall or is like a, is Ben Affleck and Carrie Coon starting to figure things out? Is like is it the beginning of like if if I can get to the point where I'm so much happier now that I'm dead? If I can get to that point so I can watch all that moment, I was like I'm I'm gonna stick around at least until that. Until then, yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think. You know, one of my favorite, I think one of my favorite parts of the movie, and I, I think one of the most relevant parts of the movie is sort of its take on, um, like celebrity culture, yeah. tabloid media. Um, yeah. so I feel like that has only become more relevant since, I mean, that was always a, you know, I guess like when you go back and watch like older movies, of course, like that's always been something that, it, you know, going all the way back to like network and even before, like, that whole thing is always such a, you know, hot topic, but yeah, I feel like it seems, it seems different in the way that Gone Girl does it. And I feel like Gone Girl like predicted a lot of stuff and just in terms of like the sensationalist 24 hours news cycle, the, like the way yeah. we like um, can like bring up someone then cancel them, then bring them back up again. And, um, and I was wondering if you had any sort of like general thoughts on, on that and sort of like, especially in the way that this movie deals with like Ben Affleck's character and all that he uh, goes through. I really, I, I think it's most interesting in the frame of knowing that the director of the social network made this too, like coming on, like obviously girl with the dragon tattoo and social network probably had a little overlap, you know, they're only a year apart and how much, how Fincher Fincher always goes long and shoots. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were overlap with pre-production, post-production, but yeah. like, this is a film that seems like it would be its most effect is like, okay, I have the insight of what social media is like and kind of the darkness of it before the darkness was there. Like it, it's, it's kind of hard to contextualize to people these days, but whenever the social network came out, everybody was not like, Oh, so Facebook's a villain, right? No, at the time Facebook was a good thing. Like whenever the yeah. social network came out, they're like, look at this good thing that was created with all the chaos that it is. And now they look at it and you're like, Oh, and it's not even the it's you know you know probably five years ago everybody's like or five maybe eight years ago everybody's like Facebook is the devil it's the worst thing in the world and now nobody really cares about it still but it's still a thing like yeah, it's, it's yeah. the cyclical of that but anyway but like at the time this comes out it's starting to ramp up to like social media is kind of bad and I think Fincher is aware of this and he frames it in such a way where. And I, I think it's in very intentional casting on for Ben Affleck to be like, we need somebody who is likable, can do what I need him to do, but at the same time is completely within the realm of possibility could murder this woman. Like yeah. it has to, it has to fi find all those levels of it's a, it's, it's a very complex character to, to build out. Like it's, he has to, he has to be sympathetic and unsympathetic he has to be a cheater 
and still be rooting for rooting for him. And he's you're like, are you on his side at the end of the movie? Are you against him at the end of the movie? Like it, it has, it's a very complex thing. And uh, a lot of people have said it, and I still think it is probably is Ben Affleck's best performance because of the perfect encapsulation of that celebrity. Like you said, like the most infuriating part of the whole movie for me is whenever that girl wants a selfie yeah. and gets a selfie and she's like, please. And he's, he's trying to be like, Oh, they, I had that picture where I smiled and they crucified me. I can't do that again. And all of a sudden he's got a picture of this random girl and he's like, please, please don't. And, and like, and then it starts to spiral. And it's like, don't touch me. And you're just like, Oh, and you're, you know where it's going, you know, what's going in a bad place. And yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, it's, it's such a part of the film that is unseparable from the rest of the narrative. Like you can't talk about gone girl with how the influence of the, the manipulation of media by every side is essentially dictating the narrative. Yeah. And I, I think what's interesting about Ben Affleck in this movie is like, um, I, he's someone that is very com- he looks very uncomfortable in front of the camera yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but he's also someone that feels very like weary by the camera and like very just like all right you know like now I'm in this position again and like there's like he's like in a, he comes across inauthentic you know and like when yeah he- you know, like like when he's like trying to um, practice his like lines of like I did not kill my wife, or you know when he's being crushed yeah. by Tyler Perry, yeah. and there's a the thing of like it's it's he's not putting on an act; he just comes across like a jerk who yeah. is not yeah. sincere. Um, and what I love about the selfie part is when you know it comes back in towards the end when you know he, they're like, "Do you look like?" They're like, "He doesn't look like a." grieving man who wants to find his wife you know because of this picture and like he's like well i am a grieving man who wants to find my wife like that's just like and you can understand like someone puts a camera in front of your face like it's hard not to smile you're like it's like natural and it's even and and even like the other character's reaction like uh uh you know um amy's mother who's like well everybody just loves you here and everybody you're just having the time of your life and he's he has to kind of like get in front of it's like i am in a nightmare here like yeah, how do you think yeah. how do you think i'm enjoying myself do you think i like being the belle of all of this it's like yeah at no point is anybody on my side it's everything he does is skewed and even the entire narrative behind it like the amazing amy story is not real like it's all better things that happened the to the character than it was the actual amy girl for her mother's books and then yeah. after then th- that's the narrative of the amazing Amy and the uh, Midwestern, you know, the Midwestern serialness of it all. Like it's it's one of those things that attaches and having M- Missy Pyle, one of the most underrated actors in this film, yeah. just killing it as the Nancy Grace stand in and, you know, throwing out baseless accusations like, oh, he's close to his sister. They're definitely having sex with each other. It's like, that's insane. But that kind of precursor, like, oh, I'm not actually saying they were, I'm sensationalizing. Yeah. I'm not a journalist. And you know, it's, he, it was very prescient from what actually started coming down the pipe in reality. I mean, yeah. Like I feel like we see a lot of stuff like that happen on, you know, on Twitter or on TikTok mm-hmm. where like things just get, a life of their own and you like 
it's really hard to like parse the truth from you know like how i mean especially on like tiktok where things catch on like wildfire and it's like <laughs> yeah you know someone says something and it gets misinterpreted or they want to like spin in something their own way yeah and then it just goes off and now it's fact and you have to like really dig deep um you know the um the amazing amy part of it is so fascinating to me because like in some ways like amazing amy or amy's parents are like you know they're not the villains of the story like whatever no like, yeah that's so basic to call them that but like there is something there to the fact that like they're not heroic the character, they're not heroic and they created a character based on their daughter who their daughter could never live up to and that probably created this like pathological need for perfection and yeah. for manipulation and what it's just anything to get their attention and sure. like that's another way in which like you know this film really tackles this like this like poison of like fame and notoriety and just like media attention and i think that's like i think a kind of underspoken part of the movie i, I don't think they really i yeah. feel like dave mincher and gillian flynn just like let that lie there they don't really touch upon it too much yeah like in a way that it, i find really interesting like if you think about the interview with uh when uh, emily radikowski where yeah whenever she's on TV and, and uh, you know, Amy actually comments on it saying it's like, it's like they, they made a girl with a come on me tits look, you know, look like a schoolgirl. Like yeah. it's like, it's, it's very, it, it's very media savvy manipulation on TV of how, how things are supposed to come across. And I mean, even, you know, even the more uh, the, it, it's hard to say there's a good person in this movie. Like there are, there are some levels, like it's really weird that the uh, defense attorney is by far one of the best humans in this film. Yeah, yeah, it's it's right. kind of funny being the case, but I mean, like if you look at, you know, um, like it's just the, the, he's, he's a, he's a very popular, very rich, very successful defense attorney on TV known for defending husbands who killed their wives and Ben Affleck hiring him sends another media message out there and just kind of spins it all up. He hired the wife killer guy. Like he must be, he must've killed his wife. Like, why would he not, if he, if he was innocent, he would hire just a regular attorney. You know, it's, it's, it's those little things that that media is always churning in the background. Like he's going to catch a plane. That's when he sees Nancy Grace on uh, things like he has to yeah. do the seal award show and all those type of things. It's not, it's ever present it's not the focus, but it's always, always there. It's the cloud hanging over this entire film. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's something really, you know, um, there's something really powerful about the way in which, you know, even Amy gets, you know, as someone who is so meticulous, yeah, and so manipulative, even she gets swept up in this performance that Ben Affleck is doing to prove his innocence and his love for her. And yeah. it's like, you know, you know, like Anne Hathaway famously called this her favorite yeah. comedy. And yeah. I, I think that's really interesting because I feel like Amy thinks she's in some, I think for a brief moment, she thinks she's in some like grand romantic comedy or this like grand romance where like, wow, my husband so loves me so much that, you know, like I need to go back to him because he's so impassioned. And so yeah. um, like finally kind of like, you know, I bring out the best in him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So yeah. and I think that's yeah. so interesting because I'm like, you're someone who is so like, so media savvy and so like meticulous in the way that she planned out her, um, you know, her, her uh, fake murder and her framing. Yeah. Even she can't see the way that he's also trying to plan something out and doing something to get a certain reaction out of, you know, not maybe not out of her, but out of the the world and to make sure that they are feeling what he yeah. wants them to feel. Yeah. And to me, that's a, that's a really powerful statement of like the power of just like seeing something on screen, uh, you know, shown to you. Like there, I mean, things just feel more, I think even like we're all susceptible to this is that like things just yeah. feel more like real and powerful to us by just seeing it on screen. Like that's why like, that's why like a lot of like um, old wives tales become known as truth because we see them on like TV and stuff. I mean, even, even if you think about it in terms of like in the macro and the micro, like you're like, whenever something is on TV, you're like, Oh, this is just for me. This is meant just like they're speaking directly to me. And in this case, he actually is speaking directly to her. And you know, you have that feeling in general and you're like, well, it makes you inspires all this passion. Can you imagine that passion whenever it actually is directed to you, the little nods and all those kind of things. Like, you know, for a fact, he knows you're watching. He knows you're not dead. Not, not, not only, not only is he's like, Oh, he's trying to save his life and all this kind of stuff. He knows you're out there and you're doing this. Like it's it's no it's no coincidence. Yeah, there's something. Um, um, I was reading about this like one, like um, psychological disorder. I, I I think it's like a form of erotomania, but it's like where you see something like see someone on TV and you think that they're giving you like special signals ah, that they're like, like uh, the beautiful mind essentially of it all. Yeah. Like, exactly. Well, they're, they're, and then yeah. Uh, decoding stuff from the newspaper. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And so like, to me, like, I feel like we're all in this, like, I think, I think we all have that to a sense of like, I mean, and some of it is just like yeah. innocent us being yeah. like, this movie is made for me, but it's like, yeah, even I've, I've watched the movie and I'm like, wow, like, how does this speak directly to my taste? How, I mean, like, this is exactly what your podcast is about. Right? I was about like, to say, it's like, if somebody <laughs> should create a podcast about this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, it's, it's that it's whole a, thing of yeah. like, yeah, feeling like you're being so represented. And I think that like this in Gone Girl, it's very much a like, you know, extreme version of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's so catered to specifics of, like, like you said, and how, how the meat, like it hits a lot of, it's funny how much it doesn't focus on it directly, but mm-hmm. is definitely a part. Like, uh, even at the end, you know, whenever, whenever all this murder happens, the bar that they own has become a huge success. And even whenever at the end of the movie, when Tanner's like franchise, the bar da, 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 and just like, it's yeah. like that coming out of this, you're going to be fine. Like it's, it's because of this attention it's you're going to be a Wikipedia footnote and you're always going to be, you're going to have that extra there and it never goes away. And the, even the manipulation of it all, like the manipulation of it all, even the end of the movie, it's like, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. It's like, no, you're not because I'm going to make everybody hate you so much. There's no way you're ever going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And even that, that fear of like being like, like, Part of me is like, who cares if like Mr. Yep. Pyle gets people to hate me? Like eventually yep. these things die out and like you know, the people that actually matter to you will yeah. know the story and you know they won't hold it against you. It's all these like random strangers. But 
look, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like I've been on the receiving end of a viral tweet that went viral for the wrong reason of like and having like Stan Twitter come after me because I said something about some actor or whatever. I have not like, I've not had that directly, but I mean I've I've specifically avoided it for that reason. Not because yeah. I like I just like I will never ever share a k-pop opinion on twitter never right, ever, exactly. ever 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 because yeah i've seen what they can do in the positive and the and the negative like i don't want that smoke no is it's it's not that i can't handle it and i don't mind being hated and da, 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 da. it's just like that's a part of my day i just don't need like yeah, I, I, yeah. like but but like you said on paper who cares if i'm hated and then you do care I mean, it's it's just like I mean, it, it's it's tough. And like, my tweet was about Penn Badgley, which I didn't even know he had this stand Twitter. But I guess that the the you Netflix people, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, but it's like it's like you don't care, and I'm like, yeah, I can just like turn off the app and like you know yep. put my phone down, or whatever. But it's just like, I mean, when it's like constant, and you're just like, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's hard. It's hard to deal with. So I I don't. I don't um, begrudge, you know, Nick or, or Amy or anyone to manipulate the media to kind of avoid that because, like, on a national, even in like the you know pre-stand Twitter, pre-whatever, like 2014, like obviously we had social media back then, but like it wasn't what it was. It wasn't what it is now. Um, even back then, I think like having the national news talk about you. I mean, that's got to be tough. <laughs> hashtag nick dunn is innocent right yeah like there's, right. there's definitely like and then uh, it would have it would have you know putting this in today's world is a really interesting idea not necessarily because of it's so different but like there would be a whole men's rights narrative behind nick and yeah, yeah. is a, amy would have been uh vilified way before that and all of a sudden you know the the scooming Mary character rises to prominence because he sold his stuff to a tabloid and 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 that's a big story and is amy not what she seems and like it's it, it, it's fighting narratives of all different sizes like it's that uh this is why the world is terrible these days but you yeah know. oh yeah yeah i mean it, it's kind of interesting to, to like think about that in terms of like you know this movie comes out like a couple of years before me too and comes out of you know of course like yeah i mean this movie is in, in some ways plays its own part in terms of like the true crime phase obsession, yeah, you yeah, know, era, whatever yeah. you want to call it. But um, I think that like, it's, I feel like it, it predicts all this. And like, I, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, David Fincher, like he, it's, like his career, I feel like is really predictive of, so. like, he, I feel like he's like, in some way, he's like always kind of on the, precipice of something like with the social yeah. network and the social network jack and tattoo and gone girl i feel like are three movies that are really just like you watch them and you're like wow like he kind of knew where we were going yeah it's very wow. like you said very prescient very like well this guy knows exactly what he's doing and he's doing yeah. it in such an interesting way yeah um do you have any um kind of like last minute thoughts or anything that you want to bring up because uh, um, yes i have wrap up I, our segment. I have a i have a question i think i want the entire world to answer because i don't have a good answer why is tyler perry so good in this movie <laughs> and never good ever again like explain it to me people like why is he a monumentally exceptional actor in this and then just just no i'm good to don't be wrong he's a billionaire not like he's doing wrong things but i'm like this 
This promise was never there before, and it hasn't been there since. Doesn't make any sense. He's so friggin' good in this movie. Yeah, and not only that, but just like where, like where did it come from to hire him? Yeah. You know, like I, I guess I should do my research, but like, did he audition? Was he offered the like? I just like, I mean, it's genius casting in so many ways, just because supposedly, it's so supposedly he didn't know who. Uh, he supposedly did not know who Fincher was. I don't know if I believe that, but I don't um, know if I believe it either. Maybe I but, do just because like, I don't know. Maybe he just seems so like, he just seems so far afield. Uh, yeah. You know, just like, I don't even know if they even share any actors in common. It, well, Taraji P. Henson, I guess, but yeah. I'm like, but, well, you didn't go see yeah. your friend Taraji and right, Button, right. like, you know, but, but yeah, I, 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 know, it's I, wild. I don't know. I, I would have given, I would have given this film three Oscar nominations for acting. I would have given one to Perry. I would have given one to Pike and I would have given one to Carrie Coon. Yeah. But yeah. Me. But that's me. Um, yeah, no, totally. I mean, that, look, we can go on forever about the, I know we can. Yeah. That's, um, but, um, Ben, thank you so much for, for doing this segment with it's, me. It's my um, distinct pleasure. Please tell us about the podcast that we kind of alluded to earlier and kind of what else yes. you're working on and where to find you. Uh, my podcast is called Target Audience. You can find it uh, wherever your podcasts are sold or not sold. Uh, and uh, you follow it on Twitter at Target Odd Pod. Uh, I, uh, I invite a guest on. A, they talk about a film they are targeted by, and uh, I empathize with their passion. Um, I would suggest you all go on and check an early episode about American Psycho, where uh, as a, you know, very, you're like, well, what does that say about you as a person if you're targeted <laughs> by American Psycho? Manish. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, but episodes come out of that each week. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Nebis at uh, Twitter, Letterbox, Blue Sky at Nebisben. I'm also on Instagram at Neb.isben. And I have a website, icecreamforfreaks.com. Uh, elsewhere, you can find me uh, guest hosting, uh, guesting on podcasts. Am I David Thulis a podcast? Yes. Um, and also check out the previous episode of, of this podcast on. Um, Tin, tin cup and we did tin cup and me down yeah with the great yes. end so uh, great great episodes well thanks thank so you. much thank you so i am here with the glamorous and gorgeous and truly truly one of the best I think voices in in about movies out there. Um, Saleha, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so gratified and honored. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I know we we just did a thing, not at the same time, but like sort of together. Uh, speaking of um, romance and women and all of those yeah. things. So we were just talking about that as well. So uh, very excited to have done that and very excited to be speaking about this great romantic epic as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Gone Girl is, I think, just, you know, I, I, I you know, unfortunately, yes, Dropra and Douglas Sirk both died before this movie came out, but I think they would have liked it. I, I think they yes. would have sound a lot to appreciate about it. But, you know, before we kind of get into kind of our main topic of the movie, I would just love to hear about your... The, you know, kind of the first time you saw the movie and kind of what it's been like for you over the last almost decade. 
Wow. Okay. So when I watched this movie for the first time, I was like, I think practically a teenager. I must have been like a like a young adult, you know. Yeah. And um, I remember it blowing my mind, Manish. Like I was in this packed theater. Um, folks who watched it in the theater will probably remember this film did really well. Yeah. It was very very well received. Like it was one of those. lightning rod movies it was like a return to you know the water cooler adult film and things like that at that point um and it was just a very electric experience watching it in the theater watching it with like groups like mixed gender like um groups with couples and so on and just walking out and um kind of sensing how people around one had reacted to it you know um the confusion the exhilaration the, yeah. the nervousness i think you know men had reacted to it differently from women um things like you know there was such there were um i think reactions were driven along the lines of like gender and sexuality and all of these things i think some people um read it um as more camp than others as some people um found it more disturbing than others i think the film was is remains but was such a rich text for um all of these different kinds of readings and projections and i think gone girl and um you know that that kind of cinema i think the domestic noir um opens itself up and offers itself to those kinds of projections to those kinds of readings which is why it's such a fertile genre yeah. um yeah i i think i remember coming out of the theater and being like not not exactly she did nothing wrong but you know i i, I felt i i saw it with um someone i was dating at the time and i remember thinking that like i feel her you know i feel her frustrations you know i feel I feel what she's feeling, you know, the weight of having to project a certain kind of idealized femininity, um, uh, the the kind of the frustration of like not having um, effort reciprocated, things like yeah, that, like yeah. just the kind of cold rage, even like eventually, like the accrual of cold rage, things like that. I felt that, you know, and also the kind of like the realization that you're like identifying with this character, this spoiler alert, murderer, right? Like, um, it was it was a very interesting feeling. to to come out of the theater and feel those things as a woman you know yeah, i get yeah. the character in that way that that is reprehensible but is also saying something very kind of vital about gender about marriage about romantic relationships about the culture in general yeah yeah very very cool very memorable film experience yeah you know i mean it, it it's Gone Girl to me is like a movie that two people could watch it next to each other, right? And like have completely different takes on it. And as you mentioned, like the conversation around this movie was and continues to be such a, you know, a really in interesting and enriching discussion about, you know, like this movie's famous for being that like quote unquote good for her cinema, right? Where like people watch it and like Amazing Amy is such a fascinating character we it's like it's hard not to root for her even if she's doing all these things and also it's similar with Benefa's character Nick like it's hard not to really vilify him even though he's kind of the victim of the story but it's like well 
we kind of know why, you know, things that, why things that happen to you happen to you. So, um, and uh, I, I think like, a lot of the discussion about whether this movie is, you know, feminist or misogynist or both kind of reminded me of a lot of discussions that I've had with people about Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and, you know, David Fincher, of course, is one of the many directors of the 21st century who got called, you know, the modern Hitchcock or, you know, or something to that effect or, you know, and you mentioned this movie is like domestic noir. And I think Hitchcock was such a pro at domestic noir. I mean, he, he was one of the many directors that I think codified that genre and really brought it from, you know, B movie into like art house prestige kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think this movie for me is the most Hitchcockian, mm-hmm. um, even though it, they're like, I mean, I'm sure people will say that like seven is very Hitchcock because it's that like suspensing. But I think, you know, for me, Hitchcock was always more of a, you know, master of, romance and marriage and relationships than he was you know like he was i mean of course he's master of suspense you know that's his thing but like to me his movies are always about relationships and romance or most of them were and i think and but when i think about gone girl what comes to mind the most is vertigo i think of this movie as like a you know a sort of roundabout remake of vertigo in in a way i don't know if that's some i don't know if that's any people agree with or thought of but that's how i always took it yeah, I mean, for me, I I'm one of those one of those people who sees vertigo in everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the the greatest genre of movie is like the riff on vertigo. Yeah. I just watched um, Transit the other day. Um, you know, um, Walk on T is one of my favorite films. Yeah. Um, I I was like reading about Gone Girl and I'm like, oh my God, I have to revisit Sujo River. You know, it's that kind of thing. Like anything that is a riff on Vertigo, I'm like, this is this is the best film of yeah. all time. <laughs> because Vertigo is the best film of all time. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, it, it, it is. Everyone uh, is correct. You know, the critical yeah. connections. <laughs> Um, but no, yeah, absolutely. Right. I think um, there's so many parallels with Hitchcock cinema, so many of their preoccupations are the same. I mean, just superficially, right? This is um, this icy blonde at the center of the mm-hmm. film, right? Um, that itself, um, that motif, that that iconography, immediately you're thinking of Hitchcock. I think Psycho is one of the films that's often invoked when people think of the imagery in Gone Girl, Mm, yeah, Hitchcock himself has brought Psycho up. You know, you have the shower, the blood in the shower, the woman driving, kind of toilets too. Yeah, right from her crime and all of that. But yeah. I think Vertigo really gets um, at the perversity of the romantic relationships, and I, I really do think that that's the thing that's the most interesting about Hitchcock cinema, it isn't, you know, the the machinations and the little, you know, um, the twists and so on. I think what is interesting is what he says, so what his cinema says about the ways in which men and women are unhinged in love, you know, um, the way they project their insanities on each other, especially men on women, right? Um, yeah. 
And I think this is something you see in Marnie, you see in Psycho, absolutely, even though that's like a film that's more sapped, I think, of like romance. But Vertigo, I think, is like the kind of like apotheosis of that. Um, and for me, like Gone Girl is Fincher's masterpiece. I don't know if, you know, if everyone's going to agree with that, but I really think it's kind of a maturation of all the themes he's interested in. And yeah. I, I see that. And even, as I said, you know, you have the, you have the icy blondes, but even the way they're like pictured in the film, even the way they frame the back of their head, you know, you see, uh, you see quote unquote Madeline at the museum looking at, um, the picture of her, you know, so-called ancestor. Um, and that's how we see her. You know, he he looks at her from behind, and then the back of the back of Amy's head is kind of like this recurring kind of image in the film, right? Yeah. And that that has to be a very, very conscious um motif. I think um Rosamund Pike also has that almost um I I like deracinated kind of mid-Atlantic quality that like someone like Kim Novak or actresses of that time had, you mm -hmm. know, she asked very specifically to not be of a moment necessarily, not, you know, her non-Americanness kind of adds to the alienation that Amy both feels and is supposed to inspire, I think. So there's all this stuff that like these films are definitely in conversation with each other. Like I think reinvention is something that's so central to Vertigo. Yeah. You know, Judy becomes Madeline, then she unbecomes and becomes Judy again. And then she's made into Madeline again, you know, and then um with Amy, it's the same thing. You know, she, to begin with, is the kind of woman that Hitchcock would put at the center of his films. You know, she's similar to like a Jew, uh, to um, a Grace Kelly character, right? She's posh, she's polished, she's beautiful, she's cultured, she's upper class, uh, she's a writer, you know. But at the same time, what she gets into later in the film is the ways in which those things are constructed, you know, in in Hitchcock's films, in those films with Grace Kelly especially, uh, but even with his other actresses, even with, you know, Doris Day, for instance, uh, these, these women are um, often figured as, you know, they've burst forth, fully formed from... Uh, you know, Athena's head or Hitchcock's head in this case. But in in Gone Girl, we see how much effort she gets into, how much effort goes into keeping up this facade of um, effortlessness. Yeah. And she kind of unbecomes, you know, she gives up on being Amy. She becomes this kind of like sort of... Um, unclassed version of herself like you know declassé she goes into the ozarks she presents differently she, she removes her hair yeah 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 she dyes her hair she changes the way she dresses all of those things she rids herself of all those signifiers and then um just like in vertigo when um, you know, Judy was made over twice by men in her life, right? Men she loved, men, you know, who were in her life in romantic capacities at some point uh, in the past. That happens with um, Amy and Desi, right? Like, mm -hmm. she has to do the same thing. Um, and then finally, 
she she has she reclaims that her identity on her own terms or something resembling her own terms because in this film identity is so unstable which is again like a constant recurring thing with uh, with hitchcock that identity is not real it's constructed it's unstable it's shifting it's it's um it's um, it's confusing i think hitchcock was really the master of like the delulu is the only salulu kind of yeah. <laughs> idea so you definitely see that in gone girl right right yeah i mean you really articulated pretty much you know i think a really strong you know, case or really strong analysis of the Hitchcock elements in Gone Girl. And, and I think that, um, you know, I I find this sort of, you know, this constant reinvention of this woman from, you know, from the amazing Amy archetype, you know, the perfection, the icy blonde, and then to the Ozark version of her where she's brunette and she's eating garbage and she's you know, and, and then and then she has to reinvent herself again into Amy as she goes back to Nick. And it's just sort of like ping ponging is like you're saying that like um it's so it's so true. I, I think about Hitchcock and Fincher is that like this concept of identity being constructed and that reality is constructed and it's sort of what we make it to be and how we kind of destroy ourselves to fit the kind of reality that we want for ourselves or that we we think we should want. Um and you know when you think about um <clears throat> when, when you think about the ending of vertigo you know with um scotty sort of hanging at the edge of the steeple um and and you think about the ending of gone girl where they're in this sort of precarious marriage that is now built on a you know in as a house of cards or, or something to that effect uh and uh it's, it's this idea that's just like they're in suspension because they can't quite get on the ground they can't quite hit reality um and now they're going to pretend to have this marriage and but it, it, i think in some way they are um i feel like in some way they're believing the lie and they will believe the lie um and uh and i also think that like there's something really profound in which the way both movies are circular you know and how both movies have they start in one place and kind of end up in the same place. Um, you know, with with James Stewart in Vertigo, he is hanging over as he's, you know, his partner dies in front of him. And at the end, Judy dies in front of him and he's sort of looking out into the, you know, on, on, onto the, you know, the, the many, many, you know, of the, the distance between him and the ground and um, from up in the air. And it's just like really this idea of just like, we're always constantly stuck in this loop of our decisions and how there's really, it's really hard to escape that and to like kind of break the cycle. Right, right. It's uh, this idea of like control being illusory, right? Like yeah. you keep you keep chasing it and then you keep ending up in that place of, uh, not having had anything of being destabilized, which is sort of central to vertigo, right? Like that you're dizzy, that you you are destabilized, and um, which which is central to the idea of the patsy, I suppose, when we're talking about the noir, mm -hmm. and you know the patsy is 
um, both both Nick and then Scotty in 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 Vertigo, the both the both Patsies, the the men who who don't know what is happening until they do, until it all hits them, and once it once it does hit them, there's nothing they can really do about it. You know, it's it's not like you know he can go back and save the woman who actually died. It's not like Nick can rid himself of the murderess who lives with him now. You know, who's carrying his child. There's nothing to be done by the time they do find the truth. Yeah. The, they're sort of stuck in this place where the truth isn't really meaningful in any way. So you're almost like, was was some kind of illusion almost better for them? But then what was the cost to the women, right? Like for them to live in that illusion, what was it costing these women? Yeah. Whether it's whether it's Judy or whether it's Amy. There's there's a tax, right? There's a tax um that's that's extracted from the women specifically for these yeah. Amy's sort of stuck in her cool girl persona, right? Like right. she'll oh and like even if she might have like won, you know, this sort of this time in her life, at some point Nick is gonna regress back to, you know, beer drinking and possibly cheating and just kind of expecting her to just like play the part of the Midwest housewife. And I think that like she's gonna be stuck playing that role because she tried to escape it and yet she ultimately couldn't. Yeah, I mean, she's married to a guy who hates her. Yeah. But the thing to me that says something so fundamental about romantic relationships, and I don't know, maybe a lot of people will read this as cynical, right? But I think that is that is a lot of long-term romantic relationships. That is a lot of marriage uh, where you you do deeply love a person and then, you know, a layer peels off and then you hate them. And then another layer peels off and then you love them. And a lot of it is just sticking with the relationship or with the person, despite, you know, knowing these awful things about each other. Oh, you know, he um, he works too much or, oh, she cheated or oh, he he is never going to be able to um, share my interests. Or, oh, she actually murdered a bunch of people. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's a lot of making peace with truths that you don't think you would accept from another person. But that 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 seems to be the cost of keeping your feet on the firm ground of some kind of, um, you know, uh, romantic stability, you know, yeah. not experience that kind of the, you know, uh, to, to be very blunt about it, the vertigo of like um, romantic isolation in a way, like confusion, to know that this is the person in your life. She's a murderess, you know, he's a cheater, he's an adulterer, but we're a team, we're here with each other, and that's what marriage looks like. You're never gonna, you're never gonna know another person fundamentally. Right. You know, the fundamental yeah. knowability of another person is at the heart of every marriage, of every romantic relationship. So isn't it almost empowering to know the worst thing about them? Mm -hmm. You know, 
so i think that that to me is very tantalizing about con girl that yeah. that to me is like romantic in a way you know i think i think it's i i think a lot of people might read that as cynical but it's 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 that that feels deeply romantic in a way to me in a perverse yeah way. i mean there's a reason why Anne Hathaway called it her favorite romantic comedy yeah. because i think there is some i think you're absolutely right and there is something very magnetic and alluring about you know knowing someone at their worst and still finding yourself in love with them or finding a way to stay together and and you know this idea of like the unknowable relationship you know that is like um <clears throat> To me that's like um a, a hallmark of Hitchcock's you know romances and his marriages you know even as you know when I, when I think back to like Rear Window you know that's that's another one of my favorite kind of marriage movies it's all about marriage and it's about this you know with, with um James Stewart again like he just doesn't ever know if Grace Kelly if they get married will she turn into some kind of shrew or will he turn into a murderer you know and it's this idea of like we don't actually know what other people are capable of and as he sees all the in weir window as he sees all these different um you know you know neighbors and all their little stories and he sees himself in each of them it's like well and all these things are just always some kind of barrier between the couple you know whether it's one that lost his his job and didn't tell her or you know um the murderer and his wife having their you know their um their problems or the you know or even the like you know the the young dancer and you know her relationship is just there's just so much un, you know there's uncertainty in relationships but it's sort of about how to you know overcome that and really see what the other is capable of right and i think that uh, bring up real window is so valuable in this conversation because yeah. hitchcock's films are about voyeurism right yeah. and then Gone Girl is about voyeurism as um cultural pastime. We're all watching, you know, Fincher sort of indicting all of us. Right. It's we're all watching the news, we're living in the time of uh, the true crime podcast. The neighbors are watching, you know, we're we're watching these trials. We're all fascinated uh from from the time of rear window where where hitchcock was implying that we're with this man who's like sort of who's sort of like a genteel pervert sitting in his apartment watching these people um in in the building across from him to yeah. now when it's like that's all we do we're on social media we're watching other people's lives there are all these little windows into other people's lives and we're always 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 looking right it's mm-hmm. basically voyeurism is 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 our shared uh, socio-cultural currency right and i think there's this direct through line um through hitchcock cinema and then through culture to gone girl where it's it's like fincher is saying this is what happens you start watching and then you're all, always watching and you don't stop watching and people people are murdered in front of you and it's entertainment you know yeah yeah and that to me is fascinating that to me i think is the dark comedy of of gone girl like how how comical a lot of that stuff is you know it's horrifying right. but it's yeah. also so funny like the stuff with the lawyer and the talk show and with uh, Casey Wilson's neighbor character it is so funny like this is this is like a comedy of manners right like this is like really telling you what um uh, 
like society around us looks like in these really kind of cutting little vignettes, these cutting little scenes. And you can't help but laugh, but you're also discomfited because you're like, this is who I am. This is how I look at things. This is this is what I'm doing, doom scrolling on Twitter or listening to some, you know, serial or some true crime podcast where I'm like fascinated by these dark, horrible things and making assumptions and passing judgments. And I can't stop. Right. Um, and that to me is so powerful, but also so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's a, that's a really great place to um, end here. Um, Sal, thank you so much for, for doing this segment with me. Please let the listeners know what you're working on, what you'd like to share and where people can find you online. Yeah. So find me online on Twitter at at Sal and the Bad Pun. So that's Sal and the Bad Pun. Um, I post um, anything I've written or um, any cool podcasts that I've gone on and things like that on there. Uh, we've already talked about the series that we did. So I've posted uh, some about that. I will tweet Manisha's link when it comes out so all of you can watch and listen. Uh, so find me there. Yeah. Thanks, Manish, for letting me come on and talk about Gone Girl. This is so fun. Thank you. So I am joined by the great Marcelo Pico. How are you? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I appreciate the great title, uh, <laughs> even though I think I'm just good. I'm okay. Thank um, you, Manish. No, because no, you're because honestly, this is the 100th episode of, of the podcast, and you have been a major supporter from. I mean, you've been the supporter from the beginning, so. You know, we we stand a legend in this house. Oh well, thanks, Manish. Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like from the get go, and then you know, up until now and beyond, uh, I'm like, yes, I I love people who have a passion for a film, and Manish, you definitely have that. And I'm like, yes, uh, uh, a podcast on romantic comedies. Yes, uh, uh, I'm. So I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm glad it, you're still doing it, Manish. And congrats on the landmark episode here. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, you know, of course, like Gone Girl is like, I think, the perfect uh, episode for for this. Um, and uh, do you remember the first time you saw the movie? Have you or had you read the book? What's your kind of Gone Girl? You know, oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I was thinking a lot about this uh, on my rewatch this past week. Uh, I I went to a press screening oh, wow. of this movie. Uh, my friend Mark uh, here in Austin, I've known him for over 10 years now, a film critic. Uh, uh, he still invites me to press screenings, but uh, back then um, we were still relatively new as friends. So he's like, oh, you like David Fincher, right? I'm like, of course I love David Fincher. So he's like, oh, I have this press screening for Gone Girl. Do you want to mm -hmm. go? I was like, absolutely. I I was obsessed with the trailers, with the promotion of this movie. I had not read the book. So I was coming in cold in terms of any reveals. Yeah. And after that first screening, that press screening, I was like, yeah, this is my favorite movie of the year. Um, It came out in October, I believe. I think I saw it like late, late September. But yeah. uh, after that, you know, uh, uh, I forget what other films came out that year, but Gone Girl was my, my number one. I was thrilled from the start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I love this thing and I've loved it since then. I've watched it uh, almost 
a yearly or every two years and still love it now having rewatched it for this episode but yeah i've been a fan uh since the beginning and i should say fincher david fincher is my second favorite film director so of course i'm on board with pretty much everything he does um so yeah that's that's me and gone girl yeah i mean i'm god i i I had this very well i mean i didn't go to a screening of it but like i definitely had a similar scenario where like i saw the movie and i was like yeah this is like a masterpiece this is like the best movie of the year like i was like i'm pretty sure this is gonna get nominated for like seven oscars you know for like actor director actors pictures screenplays cinematography all that but like i mean it's it's such an interesting oscar kind of journey for that movie because i feel like it just kind of like fell off and you know but you know it's it's funny because you know a lot of movies that were nominated that year have kind of fell out of the public consciousness and i think gone girl has only strengthened its you know its its reach and its appeal um over the last 10 years you wonder something really crazy that i discovered is that gone girl and serial the sarah koenig podcast season one premiered on the same day october 3rd 2014 (laughs) i didn't know that that was such a wild thing to me because like of course i remember listening to serial and like what going to see gone girl around the same time but like i didn't know that it was like almost exactly the same time and um To me, the reason why that's so important and why that's an interesting like coincidence that they were in the public consciousness at the same time is because I think they both really gave birth to this like true crime, you know, obsession that, you know, we had. I mean, of course, Gone Girl was a book that came out, you know, a couple years before, but like, I feel like true crime didn't really take off until after the movie came out and after Serial came out. Um, and I mean, I know for me, like when I found that out, I was starting to have a lot of like nostalgia for like listening to Serial for the first time and like how much like I like, you know, I was one of those like Serial heads that was just like yeah. obsessed over it and like listened to everything and, you know, was reading everything and trying to track the, you know, I was one of those. Like, yeah. Embarrassing now to think about, but oh, I mean, a truth of my life. <laughs> I, I mean, you and a, like millions of other people, Manish. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, that's what's interesting about watching this now, Gone Girl, is yeah, it felt like it uh, was coming out at the right moment for a lot of true crime obsessives. And 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 even like doing research uh, on on this topic of you know the the the, the relevance, the, the sort of staying power of Gone Girl. Yeah. I I come to find out there's a Netflix documentary. Uh, called American Nightmare. Yeah, that's that's based on a case um, that's centered around Gone Girl. Um, and I'm like, what? I had no idea this was a thing, but I'm not surprised. You know, ten years on, in very weird ways, Gone Girl is still uh, uh, in our consciousness. And yeah. and yeah, that that true crime obsession is part of it. And like, I mean, there were definitely a lot of movies that a lot of books that probably came out that were trying to either copy gone girl or just trying to like recapture that like lightning in a bottle you know fervor um like i'm thinking about the girl on the train and the woman in the window and yeah um i think like Kristen wig had some or the Kristen bell one of those two had like uh that like netflix parody series that was like a 10 episode mini series that was like 
a comedy version of uh, Gone Girl and like this sort of like woman in peril, woman murderer type thing. And like, I I remember it was like, try, it was like both a satire, but also trying to play it straight. And it was kind of I don't, an interesting project, I, I think that um, I don't know if I quite got caught on, but definitely I feel like Gone Girl like has had some, I mean, even just like the the Ben Affleck of it all, the cool girl of it all, the like a, a lot of the actors in Gone Girl went on to have like huge careers. Like I think it was one of Carrie Coon's first, you know, performances. Rosewood Pike, I think, really broke through. You know, Ben Affleck got like a third or fourth life to his career <laughs> with it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think even David Fincher, like, I mean, yeah, of course he had done like a lot of really great movies, but I think even like this sort of elevated him into a, a whole new public consciousness that I feel like if I feel like people knew who David Fincher was that they didn't know before just because this movie was everywhere. Yeah. It was an interesting uh, uh, turning point in Fincher's career. Yeah. Uh, Cause the, uh, I, I think up to this point, uh, this was his biggest hit or one of his biggest hits. It, it definitely uh, looking at the numbers, like in retrospect, uh, I forget what the budget was, but it made like over a hundred million uh, it had all the acclaim. Um, and then after this, he turns to Netflix. Yeah. Um, and he's been there ever since, which for me is a shame because I feel like he's more, uh, you know, he's, his movies deserve to be seen in a theater. Um, but you know, he, he, he went with it, uh, again, with that, that true crime obsession. I think, uh, he understands his niche. He understands that's, you know, people watch that and Netflix understands that and gave them all this money to do uh, like Manhunter and eventually the killer. He did Mankin, he did Mankin in between, which I'm like, okay, good. You know, <laughs> uh, mix up Fincher, but, but yeah, it's, it, it was definitely a, a, a uh, calling sign of his of like, okay, he is obsessed with this topic with, with crime, true crime, uh, serial killers, killers, uh, sociopaths and, Conquer was like, yes, uh, I keep doing what you're doing. Um, so I'm eager to see what he does once his Netflix contract ends. I I, I think I heard he agree upped it for another year or two. Yeah, but, he did. Uh, which is a shame. Again, I wanted to see his movies in theaters. I, I did see The Killer in theater three times. So that's okay. And- Marcelo, I'm sorry, you cannot <laughs> complain about that. Because uh, but listen, I'm you live, okay. in, you live in Texas, right? I live in. Like- I want. What I'm saying is, I want more people around the around the world, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the country, no. to see uh, yeah, yeah. his movies. I'm privileged, Manish. <laughs> I'm living in Austin, maybe the third, fourth, you know, big city now. Uh, we 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 make a big deal about saying, oh yeah, like we've got all these Netflix releases. Uh, uh, they're bragging. The the Alamo Draft House here was bragging. I mean, speaking of Rosamund Pike, uh, they're bragging that Saltbird was playing here like a month early, and I got to see it a month early. Oh, wow. Um, but but you know whatever. I want you know. Uh, 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 I'm I'm more in favor of a wide theatrical release rather than like you know five screens like for two weeks. And yes, I got to see that movie, The Killer, three times. But that's just that's a rare case. I want more people to see Fincher movies. Yeah. In there. So anyway. Well, I mean, it, it is interesting that, that, you know, he goes to Netflix pretty much right after this because, like, you know, Gone Girl was a huge hit. Like, you're mentioning the, the budget. It was 60, 61 million. Right. And worldwide, it made almost 370 million. So, like, it made, like, over six times its budget. And, like, to think, like, 
I mean, because you like you don't make that kind of money unless people are like going back to you know to see it. Like that's like a lot of like you know not only is it like a, a wide a wide appeal across you know all the quadrants you know within the age group of course, but like like I feel like Gone Girl is a movie that like people want to like watch over and over again, and like they're like I saw it twice in theaters. I've seen it so many times on home video and on TV. I'm I'm sorry, not on TV, but just like on like streaming or whatever and um i and it feels like a movie that like it just is always being watched i mean right oh, yeah. like it just seems yeah. like it it comes up i feel like it comes up twice a year def always like one is on valentine's day yeah. and the other is on its anniversary yeah. um the Anne hathaway clip of her talk thing is oh, the comedy goes viral like all the time partially thanks to me because i love that clip <laughs> I um, I love that clip too. Uh, you know because she's uh, right. <laughs> I in in doing this research, I was trying to dig up the full interview because it's yes, scrubbed. I oh, tried. Yeah, uh, they took it down, and I don't. I, I I think it's just because honestly, I think it's because like they don't they I don't know if they I don't know whoever runs his YouTube account like understands that like that's a great clip, but I feel like they took it down because it's maybe they think it's too weird or they like Ugh. don't get the joke or like, I mean, the, I, I don't understand. Or, the, or maybe because it goes viral all the time. They took it down. I the, don't know, the, yeah. the one time I want to see a James Corden clip, to be honest, honestly out there. Um, but um, it's, 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 um, it's so great. That clip and Hathaway, I think 2017. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, it's it's been covered, but if it hasn't been covered, yeah, she goes, yeah, uh, Gone Girls, one of my favorite romantic comedies. Uh, the the audience is is silenced, like they're like in uh, you know jaws on the ground, and she goes, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, mean, it's, I it's, so it's, I'll, I'll just yeah. say this: it's so great. Like I was like I was talking to my uh, girlfriend about uh, uh, doing this show, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna talk about Gone Girl, and then I go, yeah, like it's gotten it's 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 gotten this reputation now of like uh you know some people call it a romantic comedy and my girlfriend's like what are you talking about it's like Anne hathaway have you not seen that clip oh i showed her the God. clip and she was just she yeah she hasn't seen gone girl yet uh but she already knows i love it and eventually i'll, I'll, I'll get her to watch it but yeah uh, I, I i do want that clip just to go viral every few months because it is such a great clip um yeah. yes and listeners will have heard the clip you know in my <laughs> intro you. because it's definitely i mean it's part of this movie's legacy right like yes it's definitely like you know i don't know like i 100 percent believe that Anne Hathaway is being genuine um because i i do think that this movie has sort of maybe maybe because of her but i do think this movie has a reputation and and its legacy as a you know kind of twisted romantic comedy has really um like really grown i think because i think like the more you I, I feel like the like the comedy of this movie really jumps out as you watch it and also oh, yeah. like i feel like also we're you know well i guess like in that time in 2017-ish time like we were ha- having this like renaissance of like okay yeah we can think of romantic comedies in a different way like i know that's when i was starting to think about doing this podcast and like um you know and like we had movies like phantom thread and yeah um you know like uh, like and like other movies like in the shape of water you know those two came out the same year but like those are also like really dark kind of twisted r- r- romances that you know the shape of water is a little bit more like 
hopeful and romantic in the traditional sense, but like you have these movies that were like looking at romances in a different way than we're used to. And I think Gone Girl, you know, it's not a like happy go lucky, you know, fairy tale romance, but it does, it is about a marriage and about two people who like have this relationship and it's all about that. And um, it's just like crazy to think about like how Hollywood has changed in the last 10 years since Gone Girl, because like, you know, you, you got to wonder if like this movie comes out now, like does it become like a salt burn thing of like so polarizing. So like, yeah. you know, people hate it and there's like long tweet threads, about how it's actually not that Ugh. weird. Or like, <laughs> you know, like if you act, if you think this movie's weird, like you haven't watched enough. Like I think that's going to happen. That would have happened with Gone Girl. And I like, I think yeah. because it's been 10 years and this movie has like really solidified itself as like a 2010s classic. It's avoided that, but I mean, you never know. Like, there, someone somewhere could be twe- drafting a tweet about Gone Girl not being as twisted as, as it <laughs> as it could be, or whatever. Well, to that person, I'm like, well, what uh, what what movies are you watching? Because right. <laughs> this is pretty twisted. It's not maybe yeah. the most twist. And I do kind of hate that word twisted. No, I know, I, I'm, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded of that, of, uh, of, of, uh, whichever trailer has from the twisted mind of, you know, insert director here. Um, I think Argyle was the last one. That did yeah. That. yeah. If, uh, but you know, honestly, Fincher, I think is the only one is the only director who I think can use the word twisted. Cause yeah. um, I think seven maybe is the most, you know, quote unquote twisted movie I've seen of his uh, and gone girl does have some, some moments where I'm like, Jesus, like, how did he get away with this even 10 years ago? Yeah. Um, especially, uh, I think the, I, I vividly remember watching this for the first time at that press screening in 2010, sorry, 2014. Um, and just being just in awe, just jaw on the ground, you know, much like James Corden's audience, uh, listening to Anne Hathaway say, you know, gone girls, her, her favorite rom-com. I was jaw on the floor watching, the death of Neil Patrick Harris by the hands of, you know, uh, Rosamund Pike, that bleeding out that blood on the bed. Oh my God. That's still shocking, disturbing everything. So yeah. If you don't think that's twisted (laughs) (laughs) again, you want you just faces of death every night. Come on. It's, I mean, I don't know. Are sex scenes even necessary? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, I hate myself. Um, No, but I mean, I, I agree. and, And I think that like, it's also it's also interesting to think about like you know um how how much it feels like this kind of i mean this is a little like i don't know maybe this is a little cliche to say but like this kind of like you know mainstream like mass appeal like based on a you know hugely popular novel that everyone seemed to have read at the time or like was like one of those like you know, I mean, this movie was like optioned by like Reese Witherspoon. Like, right. this, had, this had reached like that level of like, okay, like she's recommending it to people and everyone's reading it and stuff. Um, but it's like this, like, kind of very, um, you know, this like dark, you know, satire, true crime, like relationship movie about like toxic, you know, whatever. And like, I just like feel like like again like going back to that like three hundred seventy million dollars worldwide number like it's just like crazy to think like crazy to think about that like enough people saw Gone Girl at the time and like 
now it's like if a movie makes like half that we're like you know popping champagne you know especially like yeah. a movie that's like made for adults that like okay yeah based on a book but like not based on like you know an old comic book or an old tv show that like has you know um that doesn't really have movie stars in it yet you know but that has like you know we're talking about like the new like casting oscar like i would also i would definitely put gone girl up for that because like you know it's not just a bunch of famous people but it's like a bunch of like really talented like actors who don't really have big who don't really have big names but like we're on the cusp of you know of um you know cre- like of, of their careers and like you know like you know we mentioned Carrie Coon and um Casey Wilson and all that but yeah i mean it's just like it it like when I was when I was watching this movie again, like I was just like, wow, like this ten years feel like forever ago. Yeah. Like this is like pre Thanos, you know. <laughs> I mean, I know Thanos was around, whatever, but like that was before <laughs> I knew who he was. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, and like before he was like I knew that that'd be like the major villain of the MCU, you know. It's yeah. like this is like pre Star Wars and Disney, you know, like that's yeah. like centuries ago. Going back to what you were saying about, you know, if a movie like this, you know, got even half, you know, that box office that this made, we'd be applauding it. But like, you know, similar to that, if like a rom-com, like, you know, I mean, you're, 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 you're doing Gone Girl on this episode. Let's just say, yeah, it's a rom-com. And, and, and I have quotes from Rosalind Pike, uh, 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 basically backing that up, which, which I can read in a bit. But even something like Anyone But You, which I think yeah. did make, uh, it was still making money and and has made like over a hundred million. People are popping champagne. It's an R-rated rom-com. I think it's good. I think it, I think it uh, overall. I think it's a it's an enjoyable movie. But yeah, we should be applauding that because it's weird nowadays that you know it's we don't get enough of that R-rated romantic comedies or R-rated films made for adults. And Gone Girl is that. That beautiful yeah. gem, beautiful gem of a movie that has it all. That has the cast, uh, a great script, great director, just everything going for it. Uh, yeah. Entertaining first and foremost. That we just need more of. And um, again, Fincher, just come back to movies. Come back to to, to theatrical movies. Uh, uh, pick any other studio than Netflix, because you know, um... I, I, I think he could pull it off. I think he, if if he were to do something similar to Gone Girl now, but that had a wide release, I think it would be a hit. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I feel like he has that. Um, I know. I, I feel like he. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't know what conversations he's been having with like other studios, right? Like. Right. If he's so convinced that Netflix is the only place that will give him the budget he needs, I'm like, but are you sure about that? Like, yeah. Well, I wish he, I mean, I don't think he'll ever like call out another studio, but like, I do wish he would be like, yes, I've had conversations with Sony or Universal or like, why isn't it Universal? Like, that should be a perfect place for him. Like, they're yeah. so, they give so much freedom there. Like, they mean no, for God's sakes. Like, yeah. And, and, uh, Christopher Nolan's about to win, you know, a yeah, whole bunch of exactly. Oscars right. for, for, like, for going to Universal after uh, dumping Warner, Warner Brothers. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, you know, knowing Fincher uh, as well as I do, again, I'm, I'm obsessed with this director. Um, I, he's just been burned by studios in the past. And 
uh, maybe his relationship with Netflix is easy enough that he's like, you know what? Uh, I can, uh, this doesn't have to be a theatrical movie. It can live, you know, on servers and people can watch it, you know, whenever they want and the money will come in and I'll have creative freedom. So, yeah, I, I think he just feels if, if it's easier for him to be a, a creative on a project without studio interference, he'll take it. So I think that's And to be honest, he, he, he did Netflix, like yeah. birth Netflix because like House of Cards, right? Like Yes, yeah. That's like I mean, the Netflix house style of like the blue tint and like, you know, you yeah. need the like brightness all the way up. That I mean, that's from him and like <laughs> that's him, Gone yeah. Girl also has that same style. And like he makes it work because he's an artist and he like knows what he's doing intentionally. But like a lot of I mean like his influence on filmmaking in general you I mean, know, yeah, the, the darkness comes from that and House Cards and Gone Girl. That's know? that's a great point, Manish, because like in in talking about in its influence over the last ten years, like yeah, it, Fincher's style has been immensely influential, like you said, because of that of you know, because he, he he helped build Netflix uh, to what it is now because of House of Cards and because of Manhunter and um, just just that Fincher style is it, it, I think the standard that he set for House of Cards even like the aspect ratio it's like that has become the Netflix standard yeah. so it's wild to see 10 years later it's like it's seeing these uh, films and TV shows that try to replicate that Fincher style falling on their face because very few people can do that. Fin- Fincher is talented in that way. Um, and yeah, again, this film looks beautiful. Gone Girl looks beautiful. I, I I love the look of it. And it's, again, hard to replicate 10 years later. Yeah. And, you know, that's a great place to kind of finish up on this segment. Marcella, thank you so much. Please let the listeners know what you're working on, where they can find you, anything you'd like to share. Yeah, um, go follow me at uh, at Marcelo J Pico on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram. I'm I'm at all those places, and uh, uh, I'm not sure when this comes out, but whatever I'm working on, you can find uh, uh, the 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 series I'm working on, whether it be the Talk Film Society podcast or any future projects, over at TalkFilmSociety.com/slash/tfspod. Uh, that's the feed for any shows I do that I'm currently working on. Um, but yeah, thanks. Manish. Oh, I did have quotes from Rosamund Pike. I wanted to read. Oh Pike. yes. Yes. Yeah, we'll yeah. yeah. So in 2020, uh, she's on Twitter answering questions and, and somebody goes, is grown girl rom-com? She goes, well, maybe it's a good date night movie, isn't it? It's romantic. And actually it's become funnier and funnier. You should watch it again. So that was 2020 in November, 2023. For her promotion for Saltburn, she's uh, somebody brings up the fact that yeah, Gone Girl is a comfort movie for me. Uh, the interviewer says, and Rosamund Pike goes, "Oh, that's interesting. I think it's got funnier because only uh, because it's become more like society is becoming." Oh, sorry, let me start that again. She goes, "Oh, that's interesting. I think it's gotten funnier because we've only become more like Amy in the sort of construction of, of self in social media." So I yeah. think it's evolved I mean, as a watch. So that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, Gone Girl is, I mean, this is something that I've talked about with, with, with the guests that I've recorded with. Like, Gone Girl has only become more relevant and more prescient and more, uh, you know, reflective of society. And somehow something was in the air when they made this movie and they predicted exactly, like, how, you know, how, how we would all be 
So that's yeah. That's really critical for her. I mean, I, I'm really glad that like, you know, even she, I'm glad that she has that perspective on on this film, and and I'd only be more curious to hear, you know, Fincher and, and Gillian Flynn and Ben Affleck talk about you know their experiences. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, the 10 year anniversary is coming up this October, so hopefully we'll get more articles and uh, just, yeah, just, uh, just, just looking back at this now, what I consider a masterpiece. And thank you, Manish, for having me on. Thank you.